Welcome to the Great Bass Tennis Podcast, episode 25. This is your co-host, Andy Fitzell, alongside Steve Smith. And in this episode, we're talking all about sports psychologist, sports performance master, Dr. James Lair, Jim Lair. And uh, I'm excited about this episode. This is pillar number four. We're there, of course, uh, tennis intelligence applied. Yeah. We have eight pillars. We consider uh, Vic Braden to be the Christmas tree, and the other seven are amazing ornaments. Yeah. This brings, is going to be fun to go through Dr. Lair's work. Brings back a lot of memories for me. I mean, one of the first tennis videos that I remember as a kid, you know, I was probably 11 years old or something back in 87, I think. Well, yeah, I was born in 76, so it was 87, I was 11. But, I mean, back when I first started to play was a 16-second cure, which I know we'll get into. But that was that time, you know, I really liked Agassi and had a mullet. and Andre Agassi, the mullet, the and, blue jean shorts. <laughs> blue jean shorts. I had those, actually, in the, you know, the spandex that they came with. I was so skinny. They were actually baggy, the spandex. So, anyway, but but it's been great going through not only the notes that, you know, you have here tonight and talking about him, but also I've spent so much time going through your library of stuff, you know, a lot of different tapes and books that I've been able to, um, you know, curate all this content that you have in your library and, and be able to continue to learn. And, and some of the older tapes that you have, it's just been fun to, to study uh, his work again in, in preparation for this, but also just in general. 16 second cure. Yeah. At that time when that tape was produced, uh, Jim was based at Nick Baltieri Tennis Academy, mm-hmm. Bradenton, Florida. Yeah. The blue jean shorts were designed for McEnroe. Mm. And when they were delivered, he said, I'm not wearing those. He's like, what? And then a young, young Agassiz uh, jumped all over that. Do you think you said, you cannot be serious? Um, yeah, let me just start going through some notes, and you can interject. Um, yeah. I, I think um, about, say, uh, Mark Jakes, um, mm-hmm. Dave Nostrand. You were at the Vic Brain Tennis College. Yeah. Was Jennifer Roberts there when you were there? No, I think we asked that. She may have. I mean, you know, when I first started playing tennis, you know, I was 10, 11 years old. So it would have been right around 86, 87. And I remember Jake's would come over to where I started playing the Bloomington Country Club in St. George, Utah. He would come over and play my first coach, Clark Barton. And, uh, you know, I just remember those matches a little bit. But I I heard from Dave Nostrand today. Anyway, with that... Um, there was, I would say, some some deep study. Uh, so the the people that we trained back in those days. So let me just go through a few things. Uh, mm-hmm. As you mentioned, well known sports psychologist, author of seventeen books. Yeah. Uh, in the respective sports, worked with seventeen number ones. Mm-hmm. Some of uh, the work he's done is covert, where it's kept a secret. Yeah. It's not really disclosed. Um. I was I watched a, a clip on YouTube where he was asked uh, about the top, top players, and he recently has worked with Djokovic. Um, I remember he worked with Sabatini. Back with Sabatini played uh, from Argentina. She played back in the same era, Steffi Graf. Yeah. She was right there knocking on the door, but when she worked with uh, Jim, she she really played a completely different style. She forced, went forward on the hard court at, the, at Flushing Meadows, won the uh, yeah. U.S. Open. Yeah, I mean, Steffi, you'd think more players would have done that. Just because of the slice back in. I mean, Vic used to always talk about Vic Braden used to always talk about, you know, it was tough for someone who hits a slice back in to, to beat you when, when you come in because a hard hit slice back hand goes at least seventy feet or so 
and to pass somebody on the 65-9 cross court from the baseline to the single sideline or the uh, single sideline and service line on the opposite side is 65 feet, nine inches. So it would it'd be tough for anybody that has just really a slice backhand Vic to, would to say, pass um, you on that. So, you know, Sabatini, she was able to take advantage of that. Going back even before Sabatini graph, uh, Oregon Vilas, Vic used to say it so, so well that um, Borg was a better Vilas. And if you play the guy 20 times in a row, you've lost, you think you'd mix it up, try, try a different pattern. Yeah, exactly. Um, I remember uh, that match, though. Fun. Yeah. You know, we'll get around to having a, a podcast uh, about Vic with uh, also a psychologist. I was with Vic at the Easter Bowl one time, and he said, uh, everybody's just playing baseline tennis. You're playing somebody who's just a little better than you. You should just mail in the scores. Yeah. Arthur Ashe, um, in the 1980s, uh, was quoted as saying, Jim may be the most important person in tennis today. Um, you know, he... Jim earned fame on many fronts, but one was working with tennis parents. Mm-hmm. Um, I met Jim um, in the through Dennis Vandermeer. Um, at that time, Jim was not that well known in the tennis industry. If you just think this goes back, I mean, in the, we're talking in the seventies. Yeah. Um, like so many, I went through training uh, led by Dennis. Jim did the same. I don't think anyone ever really forgets. Uh, you know, those that were fortunate enough to watch Dennis Vandermeer work for the first time. So that's one thing I can say. I was uh, um, smart enough like Jim to uh, say, I need to spend a lot of time with Dennis Vandermeer. Mm. I remember uh, for me, it was 77. It was a place called Walden on the Lake in Conroe, Texas. But Jim, uh, 1975. Dennis certainly could read people. So many people would approach Dennis, but uh, Dennis realized that Jim possessed qualities and made him, uh, you know, really a key figure in the, the PTR, the Professional Tennis Registry. I became a member in 1979. Mm-hmm. Um, by 1981, I was only 26 years old, I was given the opportunity to revise this curriculum. It was a general recreation curriculum with an emphasis on tennis teaching, but I was allowed to make it a full-fledged program. Tennis tech. Tennis tech. And Dennis Vandermeer, I just knew Dennis had to get involved. So I went to Hilton Head. For my first spring break, I went to Hilton Head. You can make a spring break 10 days pretty much if you go the weekend before and the weekend after. Mm-hmm. And I went there to convince Dennis that he had to come to Tyler um, every year, and he did. But right away with having Dennis come, we had Jim Verdick and Jim Lair come, you know, spend time on our campus. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, of course, um, we had a podcast on, on Jim Verdick. Yeah. Two world-class gyms. Jim's, mm-hmm. G-E-M, <laughs> they are a gym. Um, all three came to Tyler numerous times. Uh, in the summertime, I went back and forth to Hilton Head several times, but it was really throughout the 80s that I was really part of the PTR family. And so again, it was Dennis, Jim, and Jim. Yeah, um, you were a tester for the PTR as well also, weren't you? Yes, yeah, so in fact, uh, with the USPTA as well. Um, yeah. But the... The PTR and the USPTA for years, we had the, the record with both organizations for testing the most students at one time, one place. At Tennis Tech. Tennis Tech. Yeah. Um, so, but Sweetbriar is a beautiful school in Virginia. You fly into Lynchburg. Um, but it's such a great place to go in the summer because you could go, and I remember having some friends go with me as well, where um, the 
there would be Dennis program. Um, that was at one point is tennis university, which covered all aspects was 10 days. But the mini courses, uh, Jim Verdick on team coaching, team building, and Jim Lair on, on mental toughness. Mm. So they were sometimes even back to back. And I can remember, um, you have to think the clock turns back this is a long, long time ago is that, uh, you know, they had such admiration for each other, but Lair would come in and, and just be there to be part of uh, Jim's weekend program as well. So they could, huh. it, it was really, really a neat experience. It's um, interesting because, you know, I think of, okay, Jim Lair, mental toughness. But when I think of Jim Verdick, I just think toughness, you know, after all the video and everything that I've studied yeah, the, years from him, he's just, he's like a tough dude. Well, when it comes down to studying coaches, there's, there's always so many similarities when it comes down to, I'd say Jim Lair's favorite word, character, maybe the other one is energy. Mm-hmm. Um, with our degree program, so we needed textbooks. We had labs. So we, um, as you mentioned in our library, you could go and listen to audio cassettes, videotapes, private videotapes of uh, yeah. long courses from long weekends. We're going to put some books. of those up on, on YouTube here this year. We've got a lot planned. And uh, yeah, I'm busy going through a lot of that stuff, part of my days. Um, Jim Lair, Class Act, he still graciously thanks Dennis and Pat Vandermeer, the PTR family. They, I would say they pretty much you know, with the launching pad for his career. And then from that, mm. because he was a total package guy, he really made a contribution to the tennis world. Initially with Jim, I would say there was naysayers because um, that's always, always the case in the beginning. Yeah. He was presenting new material to the tennis world. And yep. again, this is in the 80s and tennis, it boomed in the 70s when the tiebreaker um, shortened matches and therefore it could be put in a time capsule and matches could be played on TV. Um, what he basically did is he studied what players did um, in between points. Yeah. Now, I mean, obviously he's a licensed psychologist where um, Tim Galloway's not. He, but inner, inner Tennis um, is the best sold book of all time. Yeah, Inner in Game of Tennis. The Inner Game of Tennis. Yeah. Um, but I can remember Vic, I was in the Vandermeer camp and I was in the Braden camp. Um, in other words, I had spent so much time around both of them. Yeah. I remember Vic asking me, and he was very skeptical. Vic was uh, very skeptical of the inner game of tennis, too, where there's a segment where pretend you're the ball. <laughs> and, and Vic goes, that doesn't work for me. <laughs> where um, Vic was, just show me how to hit it. Yeah. Just show me how to hit the ball. Show me how to hit it. And you know, I can remember being in meetings. Um, we have a coach here who's uh, good friends with Tom Gulkson. Tim Gulkson spent time with Vic, and I was the hitting partner. And it was getting Ariel, Vic Braden, Tim Gullickson. And I was just lucky to be there. I was feeding balls, hitting balls. Mm-hmm. I remember getting Ariel say, I'm going to build a machine that will beat you. Don't feel bad because it'll also beat Borg. I'm going to build a machine. <laughs> that sounds yeah. just like a. So, um, the, um, so at that time, um, you know, you know, the, the things about, you know, the rituals in between points is that Vic had to just be told and be confirmed is that Lair would say he'd get around to saying the number two thing, the, the two most important things is number one, for mental toughness, you have, have to have strokes that hold up under pressure. Yeah. And you got to be super, super fit. I think that first one, I mean, the strokes that hold up under pressure, 
and I think we talked about this before, maybe even last week, where Vic would always just, um, you know, his whole thing was it's an engineering problem that causes the mental problem, you know? Yeah. With the stroke problem that gets people well, I mean, not so mentally tough. I mean, they're obviously, you know, if you bounce the ball really well, it's not going to help your forehand. You know, you could blow on your hand. <laughs> yeah. you, you know, the celebrities would spend so much time at pro-ams around the best players and they could copy all the idiosyncrasies, but yeah. that didn't mean they could copy how they hit the ball. Yeah. Uh, but up until, uh, you know, Jim's breakthrough and contributions, people were really talking about how to regulate the mind during all the stops and starts. There's so many interruptions. In yeah. tennis, about 70% of the time you're not playing tennis. Yeah. With um, where it, it, it obviously it, it does come down to the nuts and bolts, but the four the four parts of the game. Number one is the mental emotional. That's always always comes first. You got to be able to control the mind to control the body. Yeah, everything. Vic used Vic Braden used to always say, you know, it's all in the brain. You know, it's the signal to the muscles. So you got to do the best you can to keep your brain calm and keep it working well. But it certainly didn't take long because um, on so many fronts, um, you know, I think Jim Lehrer is so likable, major people skills. I mean, he's a jock, but, you know, an academician, intellectual curiosity. He's a baseball I, player, right? Yeah, highly educated. Um, that was uh, his first love, grew up in Colorado. Um, but again, I think, again, Braden and Braden Knights, and it comes down to those two key things. Yeah. Strokes of hold, never pressure, be, be super fit. Yeah. Um, I don't really like the word selling, but, you know, Jim, in a lot of ways, he put mental toughness in a can. You know, it was packaged. Yeah. And I think he's kind of known for coining that phrase almost, right? Mental toughness. Yeah, he gives uh, credit to Reiner Martins, who's the founder right. of... Uh, Human Kinetics, a company, um, yeah, he's, a prof- he's a professor of sports psychology, has been for years at the University of Illinois. And um, he just kind of popularized it. But the definition right. is eliminate the external stimuli, focus on the task at hand. Yeah. No, Lairisms, uh, the, la- the language of Lair, you can hear throughout the tennis world. Mm. Yep. You know, players, when they're being interviewed, courtside, TV commentators. Yeah. Um, but again, I don't like the word selling, but he, he put tennis, uh, tennis toughness, mental toughness in a can. And a lot of lesson takers, we all know that people say, well, here's my, you know, it used to be $20 and now it's much more than that, but here's my lesson money. Don't touch my strokes. Yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. a lot of times people come out, you know, um, I've trained coaches to feed balls really fast and run these, um, you know, now they're called cardio workouts. We used to call them stress busters and Bang a million, bang, bang a billion balls, yeah. but the course description say this is not a lesson. This yeah. is a workout. Exactly. But the people come off the court. Well, that was a great lesson. <laughs> yeah, you didn't learn anything. Exactly. There <laughs> it, is no education there. With uh, it's much easier to run a mental toughness clinic than it is a stroke production clinic. Uh, but we'll get through the go through the creativity of what Larry. I don't want to downplay that at all. But uh, like, oh yeah, I just need to be mentally tough. No, you need to have strokes that will make you mentally tough. Yeah, yeah. You asked. He played baseball. He had, um, he had I think, he had a good serve. Um, grew up in Colorado, not a hotbed of tennis. 
Uh, for a guy who had size 15 shoes, he moved quite well. I, I would guess he's, we talked about brain typing, I guess he's an ENTP. Mm. Um, yeah, was, if you want to know about brain typing, we've got an episode on that. Yeah. Um, gets his energy from people, thinking down there. He's global, uh, how would you say, um, a global view of things. Yeah. Thinker. Um, and then a perceiver. Receivers smile a lot more than, than Jay's. Um, you know, he's a solid player. He did not play professionally, but he was a one of the few who, as a um, non-touring pro, broke in and, and worked with touring pros. Mm. Um, he became the uh, residential mental toughness coach at the World's Toughest Playground, uh, Nick Ball Terry's. Mm-hmm. And when he was there, it's a, I think it was an argument you're going to win, it was... Nick's best crop of junior tennis players. At that time, he had Jim Courier, Andre Agassi, Monica Selish. They're, they're all in their formative years. So yeah. um, he, he worked with all, all those players. So yeah. his credibility, and we've talked about how we don't really like that word, credibility means you're believable, not necessarily truthful, right. but credibility sells. And I did, it just grew in leaps and bounds. So he was associated with two of the best marketers in tennis, uh, Dennis Vandermeer and Nick Balteri. Mm. I think people should know the Nick Balteri rule. It's actually an ATP rule, WTA rule. I've only seen one person break the rule uh, since they set the rule. That's uh, Richard Williams did it once or twice, but uh, Nick used to just jump right on the court. They'd be handing the trophy, and he'd, he'd have his arm arm around, <laughs> the, arm around the kid who won the trophy. Yeah, make sure you're there. Um, but you know, those young players he worked with went on to win majors. But I think what helped the most is that he was just competent. Um, yeah. With, um, I would say that most sports psychologists today that, and I, I've met a ton, um, I've trained trained some players that have gone on and, uh, and got a PhD and that's what they do for, for a living. Uh, some that may not have uh, their PhD, but I would say pretty much they all model their program after Lair, mm. which is flattery, the highest form of compliment. Mm-hmm. In our library, uh, I've got a, a book down here on the floor, Athletic Excellence. Yeah, uh, There's case studies in there. It's, you know, you go back and it's like, it's almost 50 years now. But, it, you know, everything, it's still, it's still relevant. Yeah. It still stands the test of time. Because in the end, it's just really common sense. Yeah. His thing, his theme at first was the, the ideal performance state. Um, in the 1980s, he produced an educational tape. I think it was the most powerful education tape in tennis that was ever made. That was before the 16-second cure. Yeah, we've got that one. Yeah, and um, you know, certainly at that time, uh, there's a lot of connections, like with Nike and the Nike tennis camps and Charlie Hovelar. Every every camper who went through uh, that's yeah. for for a couple summers in a row. Got a copy of that tape. It's a good deal. Um, but everybody has their beginnings, a humble beginnings. So, I mean, at first he just had uh, audio cassettes and workbooks. Um, I think on that tape that he made, he had the two gullies, Tim and Tom. And um, I did corporate outings with both, but I spent a lot of time with Tim. Lair's very likable, but those, though the gullies are so likable. And that really, I think that really was a huge endorsement for him. Not only that they 
you know, it helped in tennis games, but it's, you know, you get one pro to listen to you and yeah. you'll get others. Um, yeah. But the, the 12 units, you know, physical units. So I think it's a great thing to stop and say, okay, we're going to teach mental toughness. And, and Lair was certainly great to uh, be quoting, say, a Vince Lombardi, 50, Super Bowl 55's coming up with his name on the trophy, but he was a coach in the first Super Bowl. Um, when the going gets tough, tough get going. Mm-hmm. You know, so toughness. But the thing is, your eyes, you can tell a lot by what a competitor does with their eyes. Yeah. You know, the theme song, The Eye of the Tiger. Yeah, we always talk about what, you know, wild cats do when they're hunting their prey when you watch their eyes, you know. <laughs> no, Lair, I have that in the notes here, is that uh, he used to show videos to players. Yeah, he would great. show videos of animals hunting in the wild, and then he would show videos of the top players in the world. Yeah. And, you know, everyone time had a, a mom, you know, she was being very nice at a high school graduation party, and their daughter was going off to a Division one school on a scholarship, and she said, oh, thank you, Steve. You helped our daughter so much. And, and she really enjoyed the conversation. She, was, she asked me the question, how do you think you helped her the most? And I said, I got her, got her to quit rolling her eyes. <laughs> you know, when someone makes a mistake, they got to look right at it. They don't look, they, when they look away from it, it's denial. Yeah. Even when you talk to someone, if, when, you, when you're talking to a kid, and, and Lair had so many great things to share, still does, but I'm thinking more about the clinical time in the 80s when he was on the court. Um, actually, this uh, friend of ours who's done some work with uh, Tom Gullickson at Midtown Chicago, he's here and he said that, you know, Jim recently came and spent some time on court with uh, Chicago's, uh, some of Chicago's juniors. And so, yeah, I'm, I just don't see him now, you know, if you're working with all these elite athletes and lecturing and working with corporate athletes and C- or corporate CEOs and even people, uh, military uh, units, so I'm like a bomb squad. Yeah. Need a little more mental toughness to be on a bomb squad yeah, exactly. <laughs> than to uh, be hitting a second serve or better at going to the net. Yeah, have you ever seen hit a volley? Um, no, I think what you're talking about with eyes is something obviously you do out here on the court as well is when you're going to coach a kid, and this is for you coaches out there listening, and it could be for player too, but it's like stop, hug your racket, or just hold still and look at me in the eye. I'm, I'm going to tell you something. You're going to stop and you're going to listen. Yeah. You know, and if you're a player listening to this, it's like, hey, when someone's trying to help you, trying to coach you, stop and, and look, don't just let the coaching bounce off you or, or, you know, start to turn away from the coach when they're talking to you. No, no, certainly. And the level of parenting has gone down. Parenting, parents have become a little bit too nice. Uh, we'll go through that a little bit with uh, killing kids with kindness. If a parent's talking to a child, and the child's just keep walking. Yeah. They walk as, as yeah. the parent talks to them. But same thing as the coach. I think it was much better many years ago where it was like, okay, I get one hour private per week mm-hmm. and they're just totally focused. Yeah. Now it's just lesson after lesson and the um, familiarity. They just, the kid will sound the, the coach out. Yeah, I was but joking yeah. around from the old Peanuts show, you know, Charlie Brown, the teacher, want, 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 want. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I mean, I have eight, nine-year-old, they need to sit and listen. Yeah. When it comes down to, uh, yeah, stop eye contact. But if you're talking to a player... And say it's you know you have to make some critical points. Um, criticism should be their their Gold. love. I mean, I, yeah. I just need criticism. 
but they look away yeah. and the coaching just bounces right off of them. And yeah. I tell them right there, look me in the eye. It's bouncing right off of you. Yeah. Uh, don't you want to get better? Yeah. Well, coming back to the other gym, Jim Verdict, don't you want to get 1% better? Yeah. So the eyes would be one. The other is breathing. Mm. Um, you know, I'll, go, I'll go through how he was so creative in uh, his mental toughness camps. The racket, you know, again, he would have filmed this and show players racket out of the hitting hand into the left hand, uh, yeah. racket up, your image is up, your racket's not going to be down, you're not going to look like you're down. Um, you know, you see some kids, they, they never take the racket out of their hitting hand. Yeah. And, you know, then they're, you know, they're waving it yeah. with their arms going up. They and, always say the metal detector. You know, they're waving around like the metal yeah. detector. Yeah, you really see that. I mean, yeah, like they're on the beach looking for coins. <laughs> exactly. You really see that with pros. I mean, you, you just watch what they do with, with the racket when the point's done. The pace of the player, not the pace of the ball, but the pace of the player. Like, yeah. say, a, a Jennifer Capriati who played so fast. Yeah, Agassi, too. Agassi plays fast. You know, you think of Djokovic and Dahl playing slow, but they play even. But then actually, to, you know, to actually take a stopwatch and say, okay, what do they do during the rituals? And now the, 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 the time span's gone from 30 seconds to 25, now to 20. Um, and now there's, and, and the, the clock, the clock, um, your physical action response. As soon as the point's over, um, actually Steve Ulrich, um, he sat in the chair for all these famous matches. He was a student of mine uh, at this tennis tech program. And we used to, everyone used to train as an umpire. When the point's over, you're up in the chair, talk about with your eyes, you look at the person who lost a point and then how, how they react to it. How do they accept it? Yeah. Um, but then body language. Yeah. So overall body language. And that's just something where it is a major crisis with kids. Yeah. Um, I've heard a lot of scouts say that's the first thing they look for in talent identification. If you want to use that phrase, but they just look for body language. Yeah. The inner belief system, that kind of stuff. You, Lynette Federer, you know, telling her son, every time you show weakness, there's a chink in your armor. Yeah. With relaxation skills, relaxation skills are as important as racket skills. Uh, take a chill pill. Uh, high positive energy. But with that, your physical action response, you initially you start with high negative. You make a mistake, you look right at it, and you instantly, instantly turn it into a positive. You, yeah. you know, you have to have those in, in layer with... Um, be so concerned on what people were saying to themselves, even the point where they, you know, hook them up. We used to do that. Uh, we would, I remember Braden recommending that we used to have kids, te- students teach with a, a backpack, a very light backpack, had a recorder and they would record themselves. And then they had to make a manuscript of what they said, yeah. type out your entire lesson. Yeah. But, you know, Lair would do that and he wanted to know, you know, and self-talk's not very original. Yeah. I hate tennis. Yeah. I'm playing the worst tennis of my life. Seriously? I can't believe I'm losing to this guy. <laughs> He's such a pusher. Um, with um, Also, with that, going back to the tape recorder, um, we did that with, with teachers as well. Like, hey, just record your lesson, listen to Yeah, yeah. You know, that's what, what, no, when Vic had us do it, it was for, for <laughs> lessons. Yeah. Um, Self-talk, so self-talk can be very, very negative, but it should change it into the cheerleading. Um, confident fighter image. You know, that's, again, just layer lingo. Mm. You know, you hear people will say, you got to love the battle. 
Yeah. And obviously he's not the first person to say that, but um, you have to have a sense of enjoyment. You got to be able to smile through the, uh, the competition. You got to just thrive on it. Yeah. Um, mistake management, you know, the tennis courts, of mistake center, you need to manage the mistake. Not let the mistake manage you. And now that comes into charting with flow charting. I know um, Chuck Creasy momentum mm. when it comes down to when it rains, it pours, you know, it's amazing how kids will double fall like three times in a row. Yeah. Snowball. I'll clear the computer. Yeah. And that's really what you're doing. Garbage in garbage out. Yeah. Um, rituals, the, all the movements that help deepen concentration. So serve ritual, return ritual, in-between point ritual, yeah. you know, even to the point where what's your ritual, you know, and it's not just on game day, but, you know, what do you do to prepare even for practice? Yeah. You know, packing your bag and it just. It all becomes part of your motor program, really. Yeah. Uh, the brain. Uh, you mentioned the 16-second cure. That came after the tape yeah. that I think is so powerful. And really, it should be mandatory for coaches still to just know those physical units. Yeah, you know your your pace, your body language, yeah. your breathing. Uh, it's it's amazing where, um, and I've got this to go through it in more detail. What happens when you just okay? Let's go through the breathing patterns. Yeah, and you you can be telling some kids. For, I mean, seriously, I've done it. I know. Hey, I've been telling you for five years. Uh, then, then that comes down to well, I think we need to say point, you know, points, points. So the points not being taken. So we'll have you go do something else. We'll have you just go work on technique. We'll have you go ride the bike. We'll have yeah. you go go for a jog. Yeah. You know, you're not. You know, that's where tennis players. There's not the bench. You know, there's a connection between the brain and the bench. You were yeah. telling you to do it. You're not doing it. Yeah, that's where you know. You and I'm sure kids, tennis kids, get tired of being told they're entitled. You know, they're being told the same thing over and over again. But there's no change. Yeah, the 16 second cure. I mean, I've I've got a copy of that that I just keep constantly on my computer. I've played that to a bunch of the pro players I've worked with, you know, and and it's great information. You know, the the shorts are short, and you know some of the clips are kind of yeah, funny you, or whatever. But the information's all great. You can still get it. The 16 it's second timeless. cure. It's on YouTube. Yeah, it, it's Jim's son Jeff. He's I think probably 13 years old. He's helping him through it. Uh, you know, Jim will even say that, you know, if you dig deep enough, you know, certainly when you people first start training, it's like being in a high school drama class. It's you're being shown to do some things a little stiff, a little awkward. Yeah. Um, but you find your own style, you put your own signature to it, but it, it's just like anything. It needs to be practiced. It needs to be rehearsed. Exactly. You don't just tell someone. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm mentally tough now. Yeah. No, it's like, <laughs> um, I think of, um, Maria Sharapova, you know, when she was, she goes back to the fence, looks at her strings. Yeah. You know, to me, you know, I credit that to, you know, Jim Lehrer's beginnings. Um, she won Wimbledon, she was 17. You just go back, but her, his beginnings at the Nick Baltier Tennis Academy. Yeah. It really is a skill. I mean, something that you do practice. Okay, this is what I do with my racket. Here's what I do with my eyes. Here's what I do with my posture. Here's, you know, the breathing. You practice those things. But again, Reiner Martin, eliminate the external stimuli, focus on the task at hand. What's the, what's the uh, external stimuli today? Number one, UTR. Yeah. What's your UTR? Yeah. 
instead of I've just got to hit one ball at a time. Right. I'm looking at the draw sheet. You know, well, this is what I'm in the first round, oh, the second yeah. round. <laughs> they get so far ahead of themselves. Yeah. Uh, a couple of thoughts on mental toughness camp. I hope this is value for, for people listening. Application. I think back about the 80s, you know, the PTR helping us so much. Um, I think PTR, I think of Jim. Um, you know, when it comes down to, again, guessing that he doesn't do too many mental toughness camps, but someone says, you know, has worked with Tiger Woods or Olympians that won gold medals. I, even in the sport that I grew up in, Mike Richter, um, he won the Stanley Cup uh, as a goaltender for the New York Yankees. Uh, Rangers, 96, mm. he stood on his head for the Americans to beat the Canadians in the World Cup final. Um, but the, some, some things about the application for his mental toughness camps. Creative and fun. Potentially do a drill, you know, four or five kids in a line. Mm-hmm. They come up and they, they're they told, just hit the worst volley. <laughs> yeah. And they kind of look at you like, really? really? Even though they may have a terrible volley anyway. Yeah. But they know how to come up and just practice dumping the volley in the net, wide, long. Yeah, sometimes you just go, hey, just come up and hit a volley. But you actually practice the physical action response. Yeah. Uh, Neil Frazier, who won Wimbledon in 1960, I was watching him play in the Grand Masters. He misses the shot and he yells out, I can believe it. It's That's classic. Yeah. I can believe it. I can't. Because kids ego, I can't believe it. Yeah, I can't believe it. What? What do you mean you can't believe it? <laughs> you haven't been to the net in 45 minutes. You came up. Like hit your first volley. Uh, you get the secret sauce <laughs> and you dump the ball in the net and you go, I can't believe it. You're 11 years old. You're in the fifth grade and you can't believe, can't it. believe it. But they actually go out and practice that, make the mistake, look right at it, mm-hmm. put the racket, take the racket from your hitting hand. And then, you know, you, you can, you don't want to bottle up the stress and then you just go, come on. Yeah. Right here. And then you, whatever that phrase is, and then you turn and you walk away from it. Yeah. And you have to practice that. Yeah. Reset the computer. And that's, again, that's where people think, well, that's a little bit uh, awkward. Even have the kids practice a positive thump, pump. You know, some of them are so extroverted, they go, they get out of control. I mean, yeah. with. Uh, they go late and hew it on we, steroids. No, we told a story about Raven Claussen. He was the same age as one of our students, like a 19 year old with a 19 year old. I said, Raven, do me a favor. Go to this men's open and watch these guys play today. <laughs> so one of our students, his opponent double faults on the second point, and he goes, "Come on!" You know, he gives it to Leighton Hewitt. Yeah, and Raven goes, "Well, I, I don't think you really needed to do that. Yeah. Uh, I think you just chill out a little bit. Chill out a little bit." Yeah. Um, but you have to practice a positive pump, just like okay, let's go through the bad attitude. I get kids to go. Oh. Yeah. I get them to roll their eyes and then make this noise. To put all three together, the moan, the eye roll, and the tongue to the top of the mouth. Yep. Um, when it comes down to, he would create little skits. You know, okay, we're going to practice this. Mm-hmm. Say, for example, you're teaching someone to serve. They're going to come up, and they're going to have two breathing patterns. <sighs> In through nose, out through the mouth. You just get these kids to do that. You say, don't you feel a little bit better? Yeah. Loosen the shoulders. And that, that comes from all the time that Lair spent studying the pros in between points. Mm. And then, and this is great. Say a kid's down love five. It's the first point starting the sixth game. They're down love five, but they just announce it. Love five. <laughs> then you know you're dealing with someone 
who's doing the right thing. Yeah. Um, typically, people will breathe louder when they're winning. They, they'll announce a score only yeah. when they're up. Exactly. With, uh, yeah, it's so and, true. But in his mental toughness camps, all sorts of match play and match simulated drills. You know, here's something is have your kids play, your juniors. They move up, move down. They keep score, but they move up not according to the score. They move up, move down, like up the river, down the river, whatever yeah. it's called. You know, you have a battery of six courts. And wave. The yeah. wave kids are playing. Um, not to digress, but one thing that's really good with that is some kid finally makes it all the way to the top. <laughs> and, you know, coming back to Jim Lair and then they – they pound the racket on the court and they yell out, I can't believe it. And you go, Hey, go switch to that kid. There's seven courts down. Yeah, you know? yeah. Oh no, no, no. <laughs> uh, but he, they actually have kids play, uh, move up, move down in the, the, the coach or the coach is watching. Um, you can even have a captain do it. And then you, you know, you just, someone with a clipboard taking notes and, you know, someone, you know, bouncing the ball too fast or not bouncing the ball. They're just, they're not consistent in the ritual, whatever, whatever it may be. Yeah. Uh, they don't go and sit down during the changeover. Yeah, that's great. Um, but you, you know, so there's just, the kids want to move up and want to move down, but they actually go out and they practice those 12 units when it comes down to um, say, for example, just your on court presence. Yeah. You're so you're showing stage presence, not stage fright. Yeah. That's great. With um, creating problems, like say, for example, taking kids and say, switch rackets. Mm. I don't like the record. <laughs> or uh, I think at Jimmy Connors where he would do it anyway. He would take water, beginning of the match, and he'd pour it. Match hasn't started yet. He's using a leather yeah. grip, take, wa- take water, a lot of water, dump it all in the grip, and then start telling the racket off. Yeah. And say, why are you doing that? my grip is going to be wet when it counts. Yeah. I mean, that's somebody who's really well coached. Exactly. And it's not, everything has to be just perfect. Yeah. You know, plan ahead. You are going to be dripping in sweat when it gets down to the third set. Yeah. Um, having kids actually be told secretly, <laughs> I want you to play. I want you to cheat this player three times. Yeah, I like that one. Because I just want to see how they respond to it. I can't believe it. You're such oh. a hook. Um, just finding ways to distract them to create pressure, one is noise. Mm. Um, even planned noise. In his camps, what he would do, I can remember being at one of his camps and these kids were showing up. So this would be at Sweetbriar. It's got Dennis Vandermeer's camp, but Jim is there, comes in. And you now he's he was going to certainly help out the tennis camp, but there was a camp within the camp, program in the program. Coaches would come in to be trained by, by Jim and Jim. But... Kids would come. Of course, it was a tennis camp, so they didn't have baseball bats. They'd have a, have a racket, and they would bring an aluminum, uh, the top of a garbage can, aluminum can, garbage can top, and they're banging it like yeah. they're playing the cymbals. Uh-huh. Um, then, and Vandermeer was so clever with having uh, different scoring systems, but eventually, you know, you have just all the campers, two people are playing. And they're playing for something. Yeah. But so it's not just the two kids playing. It's like divide the group in half. Yeah. This team, this team. So you're, you're cheering for player one, you're cheering for player two and no mama jokes. You know, try, try to, try to keep it PG 13. (laughs) Um, But then it would be um, the, the, the 
the winning team, you know, they get a popsicle and the losing team, you know, they got to uh, go run two miles and, and do a hundred pushups. And they're just into it. It made it seem like it was, uh, you know, the university of Georgia where the crowd is going crazy. There, are, it, some, there are some okay. No mama jokes out there though. Yeah. Yeah. You give know, me one. The one that I like, I think it comes from white men can't jump that movie where he goes, uh, I think it, maybe it's a different movie. I saw your mom kicking a can down the street the other day. I said, what's she doing? She said, moving. <laughs> <laughs> moving. I like that one. That's good. Um, yeah, I don't think those camps are run on a regular basis, but there's just so many ideas. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll continue uh, with intensity. You have kids that are going to start to rally. One is low, 10 is high. So and obviously when kids start to warm up, they're not going to go out there and, and be full throttle. Yeah, they're going to yeah. be, they're going to be warming up at, you know, yeah. you know, okay, what are you at? Start at a three, you know, you want to get to the point where you can maintain an eight. Sometimes you have to step it up to a 10, like say, for example, just like a car on the freeway, you got to be able to pass. You got to be able to take it up a gear. Yeah. And you know, and that's, that's something where uh, it's interesting that um, the players on the challenger tour, the research project done, they hit the ball harder than the players on the ATP that's on the men's side. People have, you tell the junior tennis players and they go, but that's why they're on the challenger tour <laughs> is they, they're not, you know, they're not working the point, yeah. you know, not imparting enough spins. Yeah. You know, they don't have the confidence to do anything, but just try to bang forehands. I think too, that's going to change from person to person as well. I mean, there's some kids where you're like, Hey man, you need to take it to an 11. Like, you know, it's hard to get them over a three. Yeah. It's, it's, it's you know, there's some uh, constants, but tennis is an inexact science. It's played by people. So the, you know, some people need to act up. Yeah. Some people need to act down. Yeah. Usually it's the introverts that need to act up. Yeah. Act, act. Some people is like, hey, take a chill pill. You know, <laughs> where, you know, it's like even telling some kids, uh, you know, remember Vandermeer saying, this, that kid is trying to turn his shoulders so much. I'm going to just tell him, no shoulder rotation for <laughs> yeah. you. Don't turn. And then also he, he just has the, the right amount of shoulder rotation. Yeah. More uh, things from his mental toughness camps on creativity. You know, when you ex say a word, you expel air. So the word yes is a great word. Like it has, mm -hmm. like it has 15 letter S's. Yes. Yeah. But then the analysis of breathing, the opposite of breathing is choking. Let the athlete out. Mm -hmm. um, evaluate. Do your players breathe on all shots? Now it's amazing on volleys. You really take a second look on volleys. People get the elbow in, they get an extreme continental grip, rackets going down. They get to put the brakes on or the ball's gonna go so far out. Uh, yeah. With, um, we mentioned it winning, um, announcing the score when they're ahead. Um, they need to have the same volume. Yeah. So the breath out should be the same all the time. It shouldn't be. Um, you know, obviously there's some tennis players, Azareka, Sharapovich, just over the top. <laughs> Monica Sellis. Um, well, I remember. Over the top. Monica Sellis, I mean, she had kind of the double grunt, you know, it was like, why? Well, and they tried to take one of her grunts away at Wimbledon one year. Yeah, yeah. And she lost because it became part of her program, you know. But some like Jim, where Jim Lehrer's work being covert, not sharing what he's telling with players. I mean, that's part of being a psychologists and in, in sports psychologists they're not working with abnormal behavior but just trying to deal with it you know performance anxiety yeah. or or managing it but monica sellish um, used to say all right 
you know, that, and that came from, from Lair. Just, all right. So hold it, hold it. And then there's an explosion actually with Braden. Um, I don't know if this still holds true, but for the longest time, men or women, Monica Selish took the ball earlier than anybody in the history of tennis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe it. Um, with breathing, every time you say word, and, and what we used to do is we would study Lair, and then we had a lab. We had a 15-hour lab, and um, I would hope all the students that we've trained to teach tennis uh, still you know, use these ideas. So kids are rallying, so they're going to say a word, and they can say, for example, early, even, or late. And just one word. Mm-hmm. So the contact point, early. Yeah. Now, another one is, um, and this, this is even better, I think, is getting kids to play the ball on the rise. It's amazing how so many kids, even when we're warming up, they're hitting balls at shoulder level. Mm. When the ball bounces, is at the same level as the paint on the court. Yeah. <laughs> okay? It's right there with the bottom of your shoes when it hits the court. Yeah. And every ball is up here at shoulder level and the ball gets up really high, the, the hitting zone shorter. Yeah. So you're really hitting two birds with one stone. As you're, um, say, even with a cadence count, you know, the ball is coming to someone and you're going to go, when your opponent hits it, it's one. Bounces, it's two. You hit it, it's three. Tim Galloway from Inner Tennis, Inner Game of Tennis, right. probably the best tennis tip or one of the best tennis tips, arguably, of all time is just bounce, bounce hit. Yeah. So you say bounce yourself on your side of the court. It's just bounce hit and you can substitute the words it could be set lift so in transital meditation it's your mantra bounce hit yeah bounce hit in the in the mind to get people to focus to get people to concentrate to get people to be absorbed in the match as someone you're a movie lover you're watching a really good movie in the middle of the movie don't slap yourself on the thigh and go come on concentrate (laughs) yeah you're just and that's the way it should be in a match yeah you're in it and that's something too with uh you know, creating pressure, and that's where you can change scoring formats in practice because some kid can really win easily. You know, it's an, it's yeah. a player who has superior skills. You got to find ways to to make that competitive. Yeah. So you can substitute words. The cadence count it really helps people play the ball on the rise. It should be bounce hit, yeah. bounce hit. It's that's not it. bounce hit. Braden One, used to do this thing two, where it was fifty fifty. Little kid tennis. You know, say the twelve and unders. Balls hit on your opponent's side and the time span, it bounces on your side. That's only half the time from bounces on your side to when you hit it. Yeah. Cause when the ball hits the court, the speed spin dissipates. And I mean, kids are backing up and as they back up, the ball claims goes up higher and little kid tennis and big kid tennis are two different sports, yeah. but it's really interesting. You know, it help people with breathing. It's going to help them with the whole package, relaxation skills, uh, eye contact, you know, Breath is when you take the breath out, you take the breath out at the impact point. Like Billie Jean King was big on that. Now, they, uh, Lenny Schloss with the eye coach, yeah, she was so big on it, she shifted her head the wrong way. She overcorrected, mm. you know, she would shift her head backwards. And you, and you just don't want a head shift. But you can combine the whole thing with breathing. We used to tease um, tennis balls used to be white. And then we said, well, people started breathing, breathing out when they hit. Now the bad breath, the balls are yellow. <laughs> The all all England Wimbledon all help me out all Wimbledon all England all England what do they what do they call Wimbledon the all England club right all England racket club uh, yeah the all England club I don't know. all England club I'll shoot for that that 
they went seven or eight years and they said, we've been doing some research. The whole world's been using yellow balls for eight years. And where where one of those goes, <laughs> we've been doing some research <laughs> yeah. and we think you can see the ball better when it's yellow. When it's yellow. On-court presence, um, your footwork. Film a match. And, you know, years ago, you just go up and just turn the dial on a TV and say, you know, bright. And you just turn the way so you've got no picture and you're just listening to the sound. Mm. I tell tennis players when they're um, watching a basketball game, close your eyes and just listen to the squeaky floor. But um, when it comes down to the presence, the volume of the breathing, the announcing of the score. Mm-hmm. I know I know parents, um, they just they take their kids to the tournament and their kids playing a cheat cheater. They're playing a human scoreboard. I mean, tennis etiquette, you're only supposed to announce a score if you're the server. And I can understand if you're playing someone or kids are, who cheats or you're playing someone who's really young, say, so, well, announce the score. But it, it goes pretty much like this is, you know, the kids returning, the human scoreboard, they're up. They get that squeaky voice, <laughs> annoying voice, I should say. Love 30, second serve. Um, Love all. But that's one thing too, is to, uh, in these mental toughness camps, is find, the, find ways that you know your player gets annoyed. Yeah. Um, our, our discussion with uh, Natalia. Oh, yeah, yeah. She, she Make mentioned that. Make your kids that. uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. With. No, she talked about that too. Is Yeah. Try to find somebody that will be annoying for them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, calling balls out. Presence. It's out. Um, even if you make, it, make a late call, it's still out. Just go, sorry. Late call. I mean, you can't do it five minutes later, but if it's out, it's out. Yeah. And don't, you know, these kids are just point with their finger. It, you got to have presence on the court. It should be mandatory in training. You have to walk the walk. You got to look the part. You know, like the kids, they want to they be a pro, but pros don't have to show up carrying their own water jug. When a junior shows up, they need to have their own water jug because they know they could be out on a court where there's no water. Yeah, the seniors show up with their own chair, and they're smart enough where <laughs> they're going to take their chair and sit in the shade for ninety seconds during yeah. the changeover. Where a junior is going to just sit in the hot sun, they won't even be smart enough to take a towel and put it over their head. Yeah, uh, all those things have to be taught. Yeah. It's amazing when um, you think of what the pros do. But um, if if young players are watching tennis, pro players mostly on TV, TV goes to commercial, so they don't really yeah. get to see enough yeah. of what they do. Even in on between. the tour, I mean, you got to make sure you have those things. You have to, you know, yeah. order the ice and some of those things that, you know, if you want to have something over your neck. You know, walk the walk. I remember Jeff Austin, uh, Tracy Austin's older brother who played at UCLA with Jimmy Connors. He said, the difference between Jimmy and the rest of us is the walk from the locker room to the court. Hmm. You know, you really have to teach confidence. Um, another definition from Reiner Martin um, obviously a teacher of Jim Lair with when it comes down to confidence, confidence is the absence of uncertainty. Mm. You're certain that there's going to be a winner or loser. There's going to be no tie in a tennis match. Yeah. And then all the things about dealing with losing, um, just your overall look. I mean, even when you're losing, uh, John Newcomb used to say that about Stan Smith is that it used to annoy him that Smith always looked like he was total control. You know, like, it's so, so cool. Mm. Uh, to repeat this, stage fright, stage presence. Mm. I mean, 
I'll use nicknames. I tell people, you know, you've got to be bald and, and over 60. I don't want nicknames to stick because they can be very penetrating. Yeah. And, and they can be hurt, hurtful. But at the same time, um, chicken. Uh, you're a chicken. Chickens you know, get eaten. Chickens get eaten. Um, mm-hmm. You're a scary movie. You know, don't panic like you're in the Titanic. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a terrible thing with, uh, you know, you know, gun violence and people being shot. But, you know, Jim Larry used to uh, tell people, just pretend there's a sniper on that building and they have a gun pointed at you. I, I told one of my students one time, he was freaking out and not handling himself. And I said, and this is true. He goes, you have a brother who's in Baghdad right now. He's walking down streets. He's carrying 60 pounds and he's hanging on to a rifle. That's yeah, a little perspective. And that's... Um, you know, it's not life-threatening yeah. it comes down to playing a tennis match. Um, what you really want to do, like anything, is you want to create the create the awareness to the problem and try to accelerate the process, you know, conquering the solution, um, acting. Um, when Jimmy Connors, when he first saw Pancho Gonzalez, he said he couldn't take his eyes off of him. You know, confident fighter image. Yeah. Love the battle. Um, look like a champion, act, feel, sound like a champion, even when you're losing, mm. even when you're losing. Um, at Nick Baltieri, I think this is great. Years ago, they started having mock interviews for young players, yeah. pretending okay. they're interviewed on the pro tour. And um, that's uh, Jim Lair's influence. And I think really the, the beginning of a theme of one of his 17 books, storytelling for mental toughness. Here's something else to bring back as a memory that, uh, you know, we really, uh, to this day, you know, with our, with the curriculum that we've assembled and then how we teach mental toughness is basically from a lot of practice hours, even though it's okay. And we spent X amount of hours with Jim, we would take his information back and practice it in our, in our educational lab. Mm-hmm. And I was, uh, in Texas, uh, 81, 91. So it was basically a 10 year run. TAC, T-A-C-C. So it's tank, it's anger, it's choke, and it's challenge. Working yeah. backwards, the center of the circle, the bullseye, is you want to be challenged, not threatened. Yeah. You know, that's coming back to his first company, Athletic Excellence. Um, the ideal performance state. So I didn't know this until working with Lair, is that choking is a positive. You're in the game, you're trying, yeah, you're you competitive, care. you care. Um but I, you know, I thought I thought choking was always a, a negative. I think mo- many coaches still this day in tennis think that. But what it ha- what, what it means is your heart rate's going up and you're nervous. The, the, his, uh, it's called you know, we could, we just call it Lair's competitive circle. Yeah, it's like a target. So you you have the the first circle is the to be challenged. The outer circle, which is a positive, is to be choking. In Sampras's book, you know, he says he uses the term freezing. Yeah, the next the next circle outside of challenge. Well, freezing that's just a separate that's a separate thought. But you know when you're um, you're you're not even you're not even in it. You know you don't you don't even show up. You got you got some work to do that you you don't even get in the game. You're just frozen. Yeah. But if someone's choking, they're in the game. And Arthur Ashe, uh, the person who wins, everybody chokes. Yeah. The person who wins is the one who chokes the least. Right. So people don't like it when their heart rate goes up. So what they do is they get frustrated and then eventually they get angry. Right. So then your heart, heart rate just, it jumps off the charts. 
And you can only stay angry for so long. Now, that's one thing with parents is parents will get ang- angry. But the kids know the storm will pass. Yeah. That the, the parent is not going to be angry. I mean, most parents are not going to be angry for hours and de- yeah, forever. days and weeks. Yeah. Um, but the frustration turns into anger. Frustration can be a great teacher. That's another part of this, the, the challenge is why are, you, why are you frustrated? That comes back to Lair. You need to have strokes that hold up under pressure. Yeah. You need to be super fit. But then the next is to tank. I tell kids all the time that they, they, they'll see this in the classroom. A professor is going too fast. They're talking too fast. Somebody's trying to take notes. And then they, they throw their pencil down and they kind of lean back in their chair. And <laughs> they just can't keep up with the, with the teacher, so they tank. Yeah. Um, but when you tank, what happens is your heart rate, you start to relax. Yeah. You're physically out there, but you mentally, emotionally. A lot of times it's, it's a kid's ego. It's like, okay, I'm just going to tank, pretend I'm not trying. Right. So, yeah. the, so then they don't, they're out there and they start to be relaxed and all of a sudden they get a few balls back and they go, okay, I, I'm, in I, this. I, I'm getting back in this thing. Yeah. So the, the recycle, the, or the, the cycle can repeat itself. Mm-hmm. Here's a thought on tanking. Oh, it definitely does repeat itself throughout a match. Um, you know, and there's a mini tank. I tell kids all the time. I mean, I have students I've worked with where um, they tanked at a key time. They tanked at a three-all match playing college tennis, and the rest of their career they played doubles. Mm. They were a good tennis player. They weren't, you know, they were borderline making the top six, and you just don't tank. Mm. No gas in the car. You're out there. It's just, I mean, it is a felony. You're going to tennis jail. Here's this great story on tanking is I was with Austin Krychek and I've known him, you know, we talked to his dad yeah. since he was seven years old, but I went to some tournaments with him, pro tournaments. He's playing doubles with tennis Sangren. Now I had zero uh, connection with coaching tennis, but because they were playing doubles, I was around those guys the whole time. Mm-hmm. So Jack Sock at one point in his career, I'm sure it would be the same to this day. He didn't really like, he wasn't too happy when he was playing futures or challengers. The way the way he was carrying himself. Um, so Sangren beat Sock in the semifinal to reach the final. Uh, challenger was in uh, Champaign, Illinois. And I said to uh, Tennis, I said, you did a great job staying focused when uh, Sock was tanking. And he said, he goes, oh, I know. He plays the same whether he's tanking or not. <laughs> yeah. He's got that huge serve and he's just, you know, oh, there's no rhythm. He's just ripping balls. And, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, with uh, using a heart rate monitor, mm. Jim used to do this. And, and I remember having the equipment. We bought the equipment that he had where we could um, have someone go in the locker room, take their shirt off, and they would put this apparatus around their yeah, chest. Strapped around your chest. But I, I remember, you know, Dennis really helped Jim, who was such a great speaker. You know, he, I'd say he's easily one of the best in the tennis industry. It's amazing um, how he captures an audience now. But like everybody, he just continued to grow, continued to prove with that skill set. So I remember uh, he he asked me, he said, who is just going to be so absorbed? Who's coming to this? What coach do you know? It was actually a physician by the name of Dan Tony. I said, Dan Tony, he will be totally into everything you're saying. (laughs) So uh, this was in a college auditorium. So... Nice, nice guy. Tony's says, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. So he goes to the men's room. He puts his thing on and he, and Lair knew this would happen. He totally forgets it. 
and he just absorbed, you know, Larry gets into the lecture and he goes, okay, and now and he just abruptly says- He forgets he has it on. Forgets he has it on. Then he abruptly yeah. says, uh, and Dan, Tony, why don't you come down here right now? And, <laughs> you know, and Larry has a pretty easy going style. He goes, but why don't you come down here right now? Uh, yeah, yeah, just come on down, we'll get going. Just, uh, we're gonna get this going in the next 15 seconds. So come on down. <laughs> And then he, and Blair has on his wristwatch, his heart rate is just jumping <laughs> off the roof. Yeah, that's great. And then he goes, oh, I'd like to have you just talk to us about your tennis game. <laughs> and, um, you know, of course, you know, then it's, it's a physician or something like that, he's in surgery or what have you. Is that, um, but he would do that when people would play. You know, so he have, he'd have the heart rate of the player. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the arousal level, I mean, it comes down to it. Um, it's going to go up. You're going to, you're going to be engaged. You're going to, you're going to be, um, you know, all cylinders firing, but it can't just jump right off the top of the chart. You yeah. know, so it's a, it's a big point and it, it should be more like this instead of the roller coaster where it's up and down. And so many kids play in practice where they play totally flat. Um, you know, I always think of Ty Tucker, um, you know, one of my students, Jeremy Wurtzman played for him and a lot of years went by and then my son played for him. And I know now you, you've worked with a lot of players, um, including my son who played Ohio State. Yeah. And that's one thing that Tucker does so well. I mean, there's no such thing as, uh, well, it's just a practice match. I mean, it's... <laughs> yeah, no way. You know, and I think, uh, you know, digress with Ty, a thought on Ty is that it's so smart where he doesn't say, well, these two play, who wins? He, he says, if these two play 10 times... Who wins? Yeah. Um, but no, it's so so important to uh, uh, create pressure. And um, if a kid is playing flat all the time, that's like you know Bill Belichick, because you know you read about these coaches, they want to make practice is, is you know make practice game like. Yeah. And so that you're um, you go to a tournament, it, it you know I think it, you want to get to the point where you go to a tournament and you feel like it's a holiday. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, okay, well, it's a much easier day. Yeah, practice is way tougher than this. Yeah. That's a, you know, Vic Braden's one of his famous lines. You'd always just say you want to practice in the manner in which you're expected to perform. Yeah. You know, obviously you've got to do block practice sometimes, variable practice, and then random practices, matches. But if you can do it, like you said, where you create some pressure, that's ideal. Yeah, I think acting. Um you hear this in, from many people, but Lair would profess this. Um, um, and again, um, with the 17 books I, and putting this together, uh, your wife helped me. Uh, he has a new book called um, Leading with Character. Yeah. I haven't read all 17 books, but I mean, going back, uh, we had a course, Contemporary Literature and Tennis Instruction, plus we had team coaching where we used a, ver- a verdict book a manual from the PTR and a layer manual. I mean, how many people have taken a college course called contemporary literature and tennis instruction? It's pretty cool. Yeah. It was, <laughs> um, it's great. The USTA now they have a department called um, USTAU. Yeah. There, there's a effort to put together curriculums for training tennis teachers. Mm-hmm. So Jim Lair, if, uh, fake it till you make it to act as if it's a powerful tool. Um, you know, I think, you know, you think about storytelling. I, when you learn something, I make a story. I can remember Larry said, you want to be like a duck. On the outside, you know, you're just floating, you're yeah. all calm, cool, collected. Now on the inside, you might be just like the duck under the water. Yeah. Your stomach's going up and down and, but um, yeah, fake it till you make it. How do you, how do you look? Yeah. 
Um, the mistake management process. If you make a mistake and you don't correct it, you've made a second mistake. Plan on making mistakes. We said it's a mistake center. Mm-hmm. Uh, this again, uh, manage the mistakes. Don't let the mistakes manage you. Yeah, it's it compounds itself. It's a, it's just so sad, sad, sad that kids over and over again they make the same mistake. Yeah, same mistake. Say for example, they have an inefficient forehand. In a set of 10, there's about 50 points played, two sets, 100 points played. It's a safe bet. That flaw in their forehand cost them 20 points. Whether it's, it's on a return of serve, a ground stroke, approach shot, a passing shot, the same yeah. flaw. Gasoline on the fire. So it just, it just blows up. So they're making a technical mistake. It would, it'll go like this. Well, you have the technical mistake built in. Now you're playing an approach shot from too far back in the court. Or you're changing the direction of the ball from too far back in the mm-hmm. court. So you got a tactical mistake to begin with. Now you're making a technical mistake. Yeah. And then you make an emotional mistake. Yeah. And you have no idea that you even what, what mistake you even made. Yeah. And it's you know, then it's like, when well, you, and you were out here for four hours. Yeah, when you missed, you didn't know why you missed. And it's it's really, I mean, it's so sad is that you know, people get stuck in the mud. Mm. And it's like you're practicing hour after hour, but you're you're improving at a snail's pace. Mm with clear the computer, reset, uh, you know, two of the best words or two great words, um, move on. Yeah. Short-term memory, okay? When you're venting, stop. Yeah. You know, that, um, and visualize a stop sign. Yeah. With, uh, yeah, we'll get back. We'll, we'll say a few more things on the inner voice a little bit later. Um, up in our office or up in the library, we have uh, layer questionnaire surveys. Uh, and they're, they're, they're typical that you would think from a human behavior class. You're really interviewing the player. You know, you're going to ask them about sleep and diet and fear and worry. Yeah. All these behavioral patterns. How do they react to criticism? You know, the word uh, association where there's examples. In this situation, are you loose or you're tight? You know, simply we're going to go run a mile for time. You know, what are your inner thoughts right at that moment? Are you yeah. loose or you're tight? Yeah. Uh, do you love pressure? Or do you hate pressure? Do you love work? Or you hate work. Um, do you, you know, do you, do you love, you know, getting out there and, and when it's a, when it's a warm up, you're making yourself a better athlete or are you just going through the motions? Yeah. You know, besides the word character, I mean, again, the word energy. Yeah. You know, you know if you, Lair, if you want a big fancy car, a big fancy red car, and you want to wax and shine it, you can do that. Wherever you put energy, you know, whatever you put energy into it will grow. Right. Uh, the loving criticism. You know, here's another, uh, and again, um, it, it's amazing to me that it's like, well, there's a new book. You know, everybody's selling something, but, you know, like the, the, the book Net Results um, mm. that he has for parents. For parents, yeah. It's a red flag when I don't want my parents to watch. Mm. You know, I don't think parents need to be climbing the fence. I mean, it's like the parents, don't you have somewhere to go? Now, when we have parents come in, they fly in here and they're here for, their child comes for a week. Um, you know, their child's younger or uh, they, they want to check the place out for the first time. Yeah. Is, it's like, don't you have something to do? Don't you have somewhere to go? But they just watch practice. Yeah. Now, initially, so, you know, okay, you want to be able to be proactive and, you know, set your garage up and, you know, this is what you do in your driveway, you know, or is your kid doing all the routines? Right. But a really good term for parents, um, 
should be able to tell you the name of the woman. I read this article years ago, conscientious neglect, mm. conscientious neglect. So with Lair, it's a red flag. The kid says, oh, I don't want my parents to watch. And, and just thinking about some of these notes, I wrote this down. As you know, I worked with Robin Anderson mm-hmm. and she was playing, uh, she had to be one of the NCAs playing for UCLA. So I met the uh, NCAs and Stella Sampras says to me, Steve, she's asked me, she's nervous, she's concerned. <laughs> she wants to know, are these matches being televised? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Lara's thing is coming back to acting is you want to pretend that every practice match is on national TV. Right. You know, we, we uh, interviewed Rob Krychek. I mean, I think that was very clever of him years ago to be telling his son, you want to get free rackets? You want to get free clothes? <laughs> yeah. You want to have a, a, you know, the same type of racket the pros have? You know, it's a 10 and under tournament, but, but the, the scouts are here. <laughs> it's actually like Tony Nadal with young Rafa. There's so many things that uh, to read about players is he would watch a tape match with his son, with his, with his nephew, I'm sorry, with his nephew. And he wouldn't let his nephew know <laughs> that it was a tape delayed match. And he goes, ah, oh, you know, Hedman's going to win 6-3, 6-3. How'd you know that? I know everything. That's why you got to listen to me. Yeah. <laughs> for the longest time, uh, it was working. Um, he has questionnaires. Did you compete? Did you compete with fear? Did you disappoint? You know, people have to get over the point where you, Christy Everett, you, you play for yourself. You don't play for someone else. But, you know, if you put forth, the only two things you can control are your attitude and your efforts. And if you go out and you do a great job with those two things, mm. you're not going to disappoint yourself. You're not going to disappoint. You just go through the whole chain, your parents, yeah, friends, teammates, your self-esteem um, doesn't. Yeah. It shouldn't be on the line. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you're not judged by winning. Uh, sure. Yeah. You can't, you can't lose every time, but you know, a little bit of logic, a little bit of common sense. There's no such thing as an undefeated tennis player. Um, with, um, let's see here. Uh, David Ferrer, he comes to my mind. He's loved, loved by his peers. They called him a dog, run after everything. One time, he wanted to quit tennis. Father, grandfather said, okay, we're going to push a wheelbarrow for, <laughs> for two weeks. And the story goes, it only lasted 10 days, came like, back, and he's a... Okay, I'll play tennis. The hardest working player. Yeah. You know, with uh, the Spanish system, I've been through that uh, several times. Um, you know, they run the class over here in Naples, Florida. Uh, went through it twice there, then with the USPTA uh, conference one time. So, uh, Lair was saying this a long, long time ago, you have to outsuffer people. Mm. I mean, that's really, you think about it, that, that's great just a scary way to put it. Yep. You got to outsuffer people. Um, you just, if people are making you comfortable, you know, it's like with, uh, your parents, I tell tennis players, your parents are your true friends. Your buddies really are thieves of time. Mm. Um, how you do it? You get the text, text, text going. How's it going, bud? Yeah. What are you up to? What's going on, dude? What's up, man? Um, but I tell tell Junior, say that three times. You have to out-suffer people. Mm. Um, more layerisms. Are you in the past? Are you in the future? You got to be in the moment, be in the present. Again, it comes back to the, the definition of mental toughness, focus on the task at hand. Outcome-oriented, perf- uh, performance-oriented. Um, no what-ifs. Just go for it. One time, Billie Jean King had a company, startup company, and uh, she was calling it Go For It. Yeah. With parent training, emotional involvement, usually it's over over the top. 
Are parents emotional? With, <laughs> um, just kidding. Every once in a while. I heard once heard said you can't as a junior coach you got to be careful you can't live with them you can't live without them <laughs> with but parents they're going down the road for the first time have have they been down the road before yeah and I mean I um you know, I'm meeting with you know it could just be two parents it could be you know running a training session for several parents and with um, just asking them questions. Okay, you have two children. How old is the first one? Yeah. I, I, he's 10. How old is the second one? Eight. Okay, so you have 10 years experience with one child. And now you have 10 years experience with, uh, no, you should be, you have eight years experience with two children. Yeah. And they don't come with directions. <laughs> and you're going down a road for the first time. Um, and ac- actually, we talk about consumer knowledge. As many times, they're just blindly writing checks. Mm. A lot of times, the consumer doesn't have consumer knowledge. Yeah. And the pro doesn't necessarily have product knowledge. If they had product knowledge, there's a product and they could produce it. We've got an um, article on that. What's that? There's an, we got an article on that. Why do, why do juniors switch really in general? Why do people switch coaches so often? Yeah. Go into that. So people can find that on the website, right? Mm-hmm. Perspective training parents, um, with, um, genetics, Vic Braden, Five foot six, Vic Braden. <laughs> You're talking to the wrong person. That story is great. Yeah, um, my youngest, my oldest son. Um, you know, he was doing really well. He didn't. He actually he was come back. To, comes back to Larism. He never really learned to lose. People thought he was going to win the national twelves with his eyes closed. And then his younger brother got it to be a little bit taller, and this and that. And and he, my both boys were very fortunate to spend so much time with Vic Braden. And it was actually here in Orlando because there used to be a Vic Braden tennis coach in Orlando. Yeah. And it was raining. I said, okay. Right. And um, so my son, Mikhail, um, we got, there's the three of us. And I had no idea what Mikhail was going to say. And Vic said to him, what's the problem? And he goes, I'm short. <laughs> and five foot six, Braden, five foot six, Vic Braden said, you're talking to the wrong guy. <laughs> um, That's an awesome story. But with genetics, um, Vic was dating. There's a, a woman. She's um, you probably, what is her name? Um, attractive woman, model. Christy Brinkley. Christy Brinkley. Bingo. Her, her mother's from Michigan. Vic was dating yeah. her mother in her high mother. school. Yeah. And Vic used to talk when he talking about genetics. He would say, "You know, <laughs> if I married her mother, yeah. I don't think she would have become a model." <laughs> um, with I, mean, I don't think parents even think about that. To, and that's where if a young kid. You know, they don't have the size. They don't have the um, the speed. I mean, they're just genetically, they're not wired. But tennis is a great sport for them because mm. you can learn to work through work ethic. You can learn to win through work ethic. You can learn to win through being smart yeah. and looking for every competitive edge. Um, you know, really, parents, it's not easy, but you're really trying to have your kid become a world-class kid. Um that is achievable. Becoming a world-class player, that fantasy, um, you know, don't ever take the end, the air out of someone's sails, but, um, you know, it's great to just say, I want to be the best I can be, not to be all hung up on uh, goals that are so, so far down the road. Yeah. Um, 
have the goals be uh, realistic and attainable. Mm-hmm. Um, the scoreboard of life. Um, Jeff Lair, I'll say a few things about Jeff Lair. Example of Jim's parenting, Tom Gilly. Tom Gilly went to Tennis Tech. He actually, um, Tom Gilly, he married Julie. She's a cornerstone with a PTR. So Gilly, um, just through my older brothers, I, I was one of their friends went to the University of Chicago. So it was Julie Gilly. Julie Gilly, yeah. So thanks. So um, yeah, so their husband, wife, and so Tom goes from Tennis Tech. First of all, he goes from the University of Chicago studying Chinese history. Bright, bright guy. And he goes, well, I decided I want to be a tennis teacher. I'm going, really? <laughs> First of all, can you say Julie Jilly three times fast? <laughs> I'll tell you the thing about uh, Jilly is Craig Tiley, who we talk about quite often, mm-hmm. he was a classmate. And they were very competitive. And, you know, they were one year apart, but they ended up taking some of the same tests. And I used to call Craig Tiley, Craig Tilly. Tilly. If Jilly got a higher score on the test, <laughs> that's uh, that's something I think Jim Lair. Come on, uh, Tilly. Been many many years uh, hanging around Jim, but uh, I remember seeing him in New York, and everybody's being so nice to him. And I looked at him, and I hadn't seen him in a long time. And I said, "Lair, how's your forehand?" <laughs> um, with, but with, with Jilly, I'm just getting around to. Uh, you know, he spent so much time around uh, Jim Lair. Um. I mean, Jilly ran the Vandermeer Academy with Pat. They, mm. they called it the World Class Tennis Academy for 15 years. Mm. Um, and I remember Jilly just saying that Jim and Jeff, father and son, had such a great relationship. Jeff was at Sweetbriar several summers. Um, became a good player. Played at South Florida. I think top five, eight, 500 ATP. I remember um, watching him play in the juniors. A little bit. He's older than you, I bet. A little bit. A little bit older, yeah. I remember seeing him play in Vegas. Yeah, they played uh, father son events. He was. Uh, they're both in the Colorado Hall of Fame. I just want to get around to this. So this book, uh, Net Results: Training the Tennis Parent for Competition. Net Results: Training the Tennis Parent for Competition. So Jim dedicates that, and it says to my youngest son Jeff, as he enters competitive tennis, that I do as I say. Uh, that's that's nice. Mm-hmm. Um, with several days ago, I put a photo up of Jim Lair at Tennis Tech. Yeah, it's a cool. Photo. And it was uh, um, Jennifer Roberts. She now Morgat. She was uh, the coach at the University of Illinois at the time. She brought her team down, and um, but she had spent two years working around the clock, helping us. She was a staff member at, at Tennis Tech. Mm. So um, on the Tyler Junior College team, they were, I was here in the town, 81-91, three coaches. So uh, Robert Cox had resigned to go to Arkansas, and John Peterson came in. And so, so that we went a semester coaching the team. And the athletic director it was a sign that he wasn't going to hire one of my students. I actually, at that point, had recommended Craig Tiley. Uh, and again, John Peterson was loved and respected. And years later, he said, well, who did you recommend? I said, I recommended Craig Tiley. By that time, he was at Illinois and had built Illinois into a powerhouse. And Peterson said, I think he would have got the job done. <laughs> but with um, the athletic director, 
he knew a little bit about tennis because he had been a PE teacher and he, he was involved in a court resurfacing company. So he said, um, yeah, I want you to run the team, but don't change anybody's strokes. We were known for changing people's <laughs> yeah, strokes. So then you pretty much knew right there it was not going to happen. I do think of one young guy on that team is Scott Stewart, who went on to play at the University of Texas. That guy had the wheels and that guy had the fight. And um, his dad was a cross-country coach. Um, he ended up marrying uh, someone who was brought up, um, Carmen Clark. Her brother, Chad Clark, became a really good player. So... Uh, I think think back is that if for, if we had for two years been able to help Scott with his technique, I, mean, I think he would have made made money as a as a professional tennis player. But anyway, coming back to that, so Jim shows up and we have a long weekend. The two teams play Jennifer's team at the University of Illinois and uh, the the junior college team, and, and, and Tyler was a powerhouse, uh, winning national championships after national championship. So they played, uh, Jim came in on a Thursday, they played on a Friday morning, and then by Friday evening, I mean, at that time we had uh, close to, uh, well, we had the, the highest, the largest enrollment was 108 students. So we had almost 200 people there for the, that, that particular Jim Lair weekend. Mm. But that fall, so we work with the girls, we work with fitness, and we work with tactics. We can't do technique. <laughs> and, um, but we did so much of Lair's training. Mm. And I mean, there's so much to it. When you think, okay, we're going to show you what to do with your service return ritual. I mean, it doesn't have to be exact, but you're going to do these things. You're going to post plan. You're going to pre pre plan the points over. And, you know, you're not going to rush. This is, you know, it, but you can certainly, we mentioned the term pace. You, you can do it at this rate, but this is what has to be, has to be done. And then the serve return ritual. Yeah. I mean, the breathing. How do they take to it? Do they, do they like it? I mean, no, it, it was, um, it was fun. Um, then, then he shows up, yeah. you know, and, uh, and he, at that time he's at ball Terry's and he's, um, it, you know, he, he wouldn't have had the credentials or the, um, the experiences to have worked with grand slam champions at that time or yeah. Olympic gold medalists and such. But he had it going, you know, where, you know, yeah. we're working with these players and those players. And, but even just the films he had of showing of the top players, you know, he's just so prepared yeah. for, for teaching, you know, professing, promoting the Gullicksons and them. But yeah, what, what to do um, in between points. Um, the Gullicksons are uh, famous, but I can remember being at Tim Gullickson's house. He had a place at Boca West. And, um, was it his younger brother? All the years, a younger brother, or was it a relative? Um, it wouldn't have been his son, but it, it was. I just remember being at his house. It was Christmas time, and one of his young relatives said, "You want to go see Lendl's apartment?" Because Lendl had a condo. You know, going. <laughs> I was just being nice. He says, "Yeah, yeah, you can show it to me." And it was right around the corridor. It's like it's just another townhouse. But so anyway, the the joke was is that. They don't think I'm famous, but they know who Ivan Lendl is. <laughs> um, but I remember that many things from that workshop. But one, I think it's great um, that Jim Lair, I would say that he stayed in his lane. You know, granted, you can, um, you know, I think of so many people in tennis that have a PhD. It's almost like a license that they can jump from one lane to the next. Mm. Where 
Um, so, so he's a sports psychologist and, you know, he's watching some of these girls we were working with. And certainly, you know, he had been informed that we've been coaching them, but we're not dealing with forehands and backhands. We're just the interim coaches. Yeah. D- Dave Anderson was, was Dave Anderson, Craig Tiley helping me. Um, you know, and, and Roberts, I mean, she had been through the program for two years. So, you know, and um, so she had spent so much time in our labs and such. Yeah. Uh, and so she took the Lair um, information to Illinois. Mm. And then Craig Tiley, who didn't get an interview at to be the coach at Tyler Junior College, he went to Illinois. And so then, you know, we think about our different pillars, you know, like say, okay, Braden on the nuts and bolts on how to hit a, how to hit yeah. a ball efficiently. So, um, you know, then Tylee, you know, I think at Lindsay Nemo, I mean, Jennifer, you know, she you know, helped out so many players and they did well, but um, Tylee, you know, in the end, you know, he really became a better recruiter or, you know, he, um, one thing that helped him on the recruiting side, all these pieces of the puzzle is he was working so hard and he wanted to eventually go back to South Africa and have a leadership role. And I knew Russell Seymour and Russell Seymour, he was part of the PTR. He's South African. Dennis is South African. Mm-hmm. And Russell, he moved to Tyler, Texas. And um, he was, was always playing the age groups and he loved hitting with the juniors that I taught. He'd give them playing lessons. Mm-hmm. And um, so Russ, Russell, we organized to have juniors like, I mean, John Lafnidiaga, who ended up, you know, um, being a semifinalist at many Grand Slams and doubles, and he be, later became the Davis Cup captain. Jeff Kotsir, right. who's now in charge of player development, um, but they trained in Tyler, Texas, and that that was all arranged to try to help Tyler, which it did. But how it helped him the most, I would say, is it helped him as a recruiter, mm-hmm. because when he was at Illinois, it was like, how does someone? for Illinois doesn't have a world-class playing background. How do you become the Davis cup captain? Yeah. And it was, um, it was just all these connections. Um, yeah. So, but Jim, yeah, I think it was great how he'd stayed in his lane and he'd watch some of the girls on the screen and we have, we have this on video. That's the thing in our library is that we, we filmed it and he's critiquing, you know, we had on the women's team, the starting lineup, there was, um, it was like an immigration center. That was one thing about my proposal. I said, I thought, okay, we could do it with Americans here. We mm. could teach them how to hit the ball. Yeah. And um, the year that we ran the uh, program, that I did it twice in between coaches at two different times. But with um, there was one American, Scott Stewart, on the boys' team. And that was in the lineup. And there was no girls that were in the lineup playing. You know, a couple on the team. But... Mm. Um, but I just remembered, you know, Jim saying they need to see a biomechanist. They need to see a technician, you know, um, <laughs> he wasn't trying to be that guy. Right. Okay. Let's keep going forward with some notes here. Jolt. Um, I think parents would be great for parents to do this. And I would say that Jim's style, more easygoing, um, you know, Reiner Martin wrote the book, successful coaching. And we use that as a textbook. Yeah, that's a great book. And, and the, um, you know, I think any coach who's a technician comes across his command style because the kids have to have the right grips. You know, yeah. you're dealing with a seven-year-old and, hey, how are you hanging on the yeah, racket? Exactly. What are you doing? Because it's it's a grip of a lifetime. And, yeah. and if they don't have a good start, no substitute for a good beginning. Yeah. But I remember Jim saying, I think every kid should experience a jolt from Nick Baltieri. Hmm. Um, with... Um, 
you know, and I do think too, is that when you're working with world-class players and fully committed athletes, you know, I think that, um, you know, someone in Jim's position, it's almost like he's going on to consultation sessions instead of you're in the trenches yeah. day after day and you're, yeah, it's a little different work. Um, but I can remember Jim, you know, he certainly paid his dues. I can remember early on where he would take phone calls. And I think a lot of sports psychologists are doing this. I don't really like the model uh, because really it's for really wealthy kids to call up and you say, well, how was your mood today? And yeah. um, it's like, why don't you read a book? It's, you know, just buy a $20 book, read the book, take notes, and you don't need to have somebody calling you up. Um, yeah, I just don't like that model. But anyway, um, here's a, an example of a, a jolt from Nick Balteri. There used to be a TV show, people my age would remember, The Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. So it was like an episode from The Twilight Zone. Nick would have been in his, there you go. Nick yeah. would have been in his 70s. He's up in his crow's nest, like a football coach at that, where you can look over, you know, all these courts. Yeah. And um, Donald Young, you know, he's probably 15 years old. And he hits the racket on the court, drops the F-bomb. Not like he's the only tennis player who's ever done that. <laughs> and Nick, this is during the Eddie Hur. You know, and he's very fit for his age. He's always, always has been. So he comes down those, he comes down the ladder. The whole place stopped. Umpires, balls, you know, there's no ball kids at the Eddie Hur, but, you know, the players, nobody was moving. The, the whole balls, place the stopped. stopped. The ball stopped. <laughs> and there was no noise. I mean, the people were selling pizza stopped. Yeah. And Nick goes out on the court. He's got his shirt off. And he takes his finger and he just pounded it into Donald's chest. Donald's chest. And it's just the whole world stops. It's like, no, this is what Nick's doing right now. Yeah. And well, Donald was ranked number one in the world at that time, too. Oh, he did so much as a, as a, as a, as number a junior. Number one world junior, yeah. But um, the, um, yeah, a jolt when it comes down to, um, I don't think many kids, I mean, I, we have kids come and they'll visit and, and, you know, really, you just ran a 745 mile. They haven't been given a jolt. I mean, you can only rally three, four balls in a row. Um, you can't do push-ups. Yeah. And their parents are investing all this money and they, they have big time goals and uh, a jolt. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about a journal. Hmm. Journaling. And I think... Um, a good guess is Lair is still getting up every morning and still, you know, he still writes. Um, I mean, anybody who's written 17 books. Yeah. Um, and, the, and also, too, um, again, I mean, this book right here, Athletic Excellence, um, you can go back 50 years, and it's just, um, you know, a case study. And it's like a hypothetical name, and here are the problems, and the yeah. problems are still the same. Yeah. You know, it's like in the book, uh, Net Never Results, content. you know, Tennis Brats. You know, I mean, if you read uh, James Blake's autobiography, you know, he says, when I was 13 years old, I was just a brat. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, it's interesting, the power of story, and that's a layer theme. James Blake, um, you know, V-Lander is, uh, I'll go very quick on this, V-Lander is living in the same area in Connecticut, and um, V-Lander becomes good friends with, uh, Blake's coach, and they work it out where if Blake doesn't act like an idiot, a brat, Monday through Saturday, 
he'll hit with Vlander, who was retired, but he's still, yeah. you know, he's a few years out of uh, being a world class player. Yeah, and he that helped him with maturity. So journaling every day, day in, day out, ten minutes minimum. Write it, script it. You're the author of your own story. Make the time. Just you and your pen. Quiet time. Reflection time. There's two types of thoughts: reactive and reflective. Most kids, it's you know, and it can, I'm asking kids all the time. Reactive. <laughs> it's reactive. Yeah. Um, but also, our standard of tennis has gone down because um, we used to uh, check their journals. So it's you know, I think really. Um, blame yourself first, but it's just like, um, as far as tennis players go, I mean, as far as journaling, there's two types of journals, I guess you could keep, right. You could have a tennis journal and you could have a personal journal as a coach. You're not going to be like, Hey, read me your personal journal. Yeah. So a diary, a diary can be private, yeah, but a yeah. log, yeah. you know, I think of a journal as a journal a diary is separate Yeah, where it's, um, you know, you, I mean, I, I look back at my own life. I think anyone say, geez, you know. Uh, so many things I wish I'd just written a story on that. Uh, I've kept a journal on and off, and it's it's actually really fun to go back. Obviously, you can get a lot of insight. You can learn from it, but it's it's sometimes hilarious to go back and just to read what was on your mind at certain stages of your life, you know? Yeah, I don't want to be pessimistic, doom and gloom, but a kid's got their phone out, it's, it's you know, and we spend so much time with juniors. Most likely, they're not typing in notes. <laughs> yeah. they, they could be. Uh, quality of life heard someone say this is that is when you're not online um let's talk about this quickly uh jim lair the inner voice you must love competition realize the toughest match is the person in the mirror yeah uh looking right back at you we've met the enemy the enemy is us all the conversations you have with everyone in your lifetime you could put all those conversations in the thimble compared to the conversations with yourself hmm. the brain you know like like Braden, at the end of his lifetime, spent so much time researching the brain. The brain listens to every word from the inner voice. From the inner voice, um, it's the voice you will always have. It's the voice only you will hear. Nobody else hears your inner voice. The voice that you will have until death does you part. <laughs> um, storytelling from the inner voice. You know, there's a more important story than winning. Um, I think this is used quite often. Lairs use this. The woman's pregnant. She hasn't been able to quit smoking, but now yeah. that she's pregnant, Next um, day. is she, you know, now there's a story, the story of her child's, her uh, newborn, her um, child's um, life. Mm-hmm. Great chapter on the inner voice in Malcolm Gladwell's book, um, Outliers. Uh, I'd say Jim is an outlier for mental toughness. When you do something, you know, 24-7 for decades like he has. Yeah. Another layer is in the hidden scoreboard. Yeah, I like that. Um, once again, the score is not the only story. Know the backstory. Um, I mean, does the kid have the, the harsh and hard mom or the cute and cuddly mom? Uh, same thing, mm-hmm. ditto on the dad. You know, how is the kid being treated? Is there, yeah. you know, harmful words or baby talk? I mean, I mean, I've had to get some moms mad at me and go, you know, really, your kid's 11. You don't need the baby talk anymore. Yeah. Um, Just go back quickly on that hidden scoreboard. Because that came up the other day, I think, for our listeners. That's something that's pretty cool where you could just talk about, hey, okay, let's say you played a match and you 
even if you won six two six two, but what, what's the hidden scoreboard been like in your life? You know, are you keeping your journal? Are you doing yoga? Are you doing stretching? Are you running a mile? Are you getting yourself up in the morning, making your bed? Are you eating well? Those those hidden scoreboard kind of things are really important. I think the mind vitamins. Uh, Herb Brooks, the hockey coach, sacrifice for the unknown. Um, I we've had a, a great deal of success. We've had over ten kids be number one in the NCAs, and I think a lot of our our juniors they know that, or the parents know that. Yeah, I mean, we're we're not really promoting that, but they know that. Um, they, they know we have a, a large tennis network all over the world, and they just assume like, well, um, it's going to work out for me too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, juniors don't understand they already have a ten-digit scholarship. Yeah. Just call home. Yeah. Um, don't really realize how competitive it is. But for me, the you know we chart matches and you know what's we went through Jacobson. You know, what's the differential? What's your plus minus? Yeah, I heard a uh, Craig O'Shaughnessy on a podcast, and he said in 1991, that's when uh, analytics officially were part of the you know. So I guess when players the tour came off of, uh, came off the tour that you actually you know, you, the stats are available to you, but uh, it was really 82 or. Um, you know, people have been charting forever. You think about uh, Jack Kramer's geometry teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, with um, coming back to the hidden scoreboard, though, for me, okay, yeah, we can chart and give you those numbers, but the, the, the there are the hidden numbers of the of the college pursuit when you think of uh, your GPA yeah. and your SAT. They're not hidden numbers once you start applying to college. Yeah, you know, you okay, the, the admissions officer. You know, what yep. are your grades? What are what your you scores? Yeah. But that's where coming back to a journal practice log. We tell kids every day, at least three times a week, 10 minutes of yoga. Yeah. And, you know, we tell people all the time program plus, I don't think there's a program anywhere in the world that develops players. It's program plus it's what are you going to do on your own? Right. What are you going to do on your own? And the parents need to evaluate. I had a zoom call today with some, some a coach that we've trained two players and the parents and yeah, I heard you say that today. Well, how many hours a week are you know? Well, they're in say twelve hours of training. Yeah, and then they have you have ten minutes here, ten minutes there. Yeah. So it's not just the journal, but um, you're going to get out what you put in. Tennis players, how's it go? Um, Replay so. Replay they show you. Um, you're not going to get what you expect. You're going to get what you deserve. Yeah. Um, but more on the backstory. Um, control the controllables. What's the common sense? What's nonsense? Um, the the hidden scoreboard. That's you know that's the story storytelling. Mm-hmm. You know checkoffs. The checkoffs with all the routines and all the regular patterns that we tell people to do. You know, hey, um, there's an admiral who had the famous commencement speech, and he said the first thing you do, everybody's hanging everywhere, is get up and make your bed. Sense yeah. of accomplishment. So we tell people to do that. And if you're told to do it, then as they, if a coach tells you to do something and you don't do it, and then you look the, 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 they're not thinking, well, my parents are paying this coach. Yeah. The coach is telling me to make my bed. It's not like the coach is a control freak, but if the kid doesn't make their bed, it does definitely play with their psyche. Mm. If they don't keep a journal, if they don't do the, the yoga on their own, yeah. um, if they... You know, they don't know their mile time. They don't know their heart rate at rest. They don't know what their time is on the spider. Okay. You know, we have kids, uh, just like a, you think of about a basketball practice, 
you think about NCAA basketball practice is, you know, the, the elite programs, you know, they're showing up with pencil and paper. They go to the bleachers, write that down. Yeah. I was listening um, to a podcast. The guy was saying as well that confidence comes from doing what you say you're going to do. You know, so if you say, oh, hey, I'm going to get up at, you know, 530 this week and work out every day for an hour and then you don't do it, you don't gain that confidence. You know, you basically lose trust no, in you, yourself. You, you so. put up, a, uh, we tell people you get up in the morning before you go to the bathroom. I learned this from an NFL player. Tell, tell the goal-oriented juniors, 50 push-ups, 50 sit-ups before you go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Well, even if you made it 10 and 10, yeah. just hit the floor. Um, we, we have a skip rope routine, 12 minutes a day. Yeah. And, but it's, so you have the chart, you know, you're a hero or a zero. Yeah. Check it off. But you're going to gain confidence if you just fulfill those little actions every day. Yeah. That you say you're going to do, you're going to gain confidence. Well, this, the Super Bowl is coming up. I mean, you know, why is, you know, you know, Tom Brady, you know, in his 10th Super Bowl. Yeah. We're going to have, have a vegan Super Bowl, right? No junk food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we mentioned Welby Van Horn. Um, yeah. No, how's it go? Super Bowl, no uh, 12 ounce curls, low to high, swallow through. Mm. Uh, Lair, like Welby, always asking people, you know, where does mental toughness come from? Um, where does honor come from? You know, I know Lair would say, you know, for some, it, um, you know, it could be a religious experience. Um, you know, th- this is. Uh, uh, something I don't know from a personal standpoint, but I know his sister's a nun, but so you think I have two cousins who are priests. So you have to figure, well, if his sister's a nun, I don't think that he grew up in a, a godless household. Uh, so, you know, God fearing at least to the point where uh, someone's judging your character to, to a higher level, you know, first and foremost, your conscience, I mean, your parents, your coaches. Yeah. Um, but I like to tell people, Hey, if there's a tennis heaven, are you going to go? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Lair, um, mother was a saint, tremendous respect for his father, the, the caring, um, the character side. That's, um, are you selfish or are you altruistic? Are you giving to others? Yeah. Uh, playing for yourself, but you're putting a hundred percent of effort for the people who uh, support you. Learn- it's really important. Just to, just that thought though. I mean, if there's any juniors listening to really think about that you know how much your parents may be sacrificing for you money obviously is part of that time um to just hey appreciate everything that's going in to your tennis yeah then you know in the other side of it too um like say in the in the in his book on parenting um the parents can't overemphasize that either yeah you know where it's so they're so dramatic about I, it yeah i'm doing a you know, it just, it's, you know, like, like school is a child's workplace. You got to go and earn your A's at school, go. And the parents, they've got to go to work, say, you know, you're saying that you want to be a serious tennis player. If you just want to play for fun, that's fine. But if you want to go play at tournaments, um, I feel like I could write a book on parenting, uh, the do's and don'ts. Mm. Um, I mean, here at the house, kids come in and, and they, um, you know, they have to help with household chores and, um, you know, it's a place with, yeah. I think if you think of the pool area and whatever, it's probably totally 8,000 square feet. And, um, so anyway, with that, I remember like, years ago at Cota de Casa, just quickly, Vic, it was with Vic Braden and he, we made a tape that was called thanks mom. And we just 
filmed all these junior tennis players and tennis players just thanking their mom, you know, because everything they're doing for them, driving them to practice or whatnot. It's just, just simple. Just No, hey, things just, have changed. Just, just, and I always tell it's not parents' fault. It's not parents' fault. It's not coaches' fault. It's everybody's fault. Is years ago, we would have kids, they would have to write the tournament director a right. thank you note. Right. But that's handwritten, yeah, exactly. get the stamp, mail it. Yeah, that doesn't happen too much anymore. Um, but yeah, you, you, parents can't be too dramatic pushing all the buttons like, dude, this is so expensive yeah. and that creates too much pressure. But they, they just, you know, um, I think this is another thing too, is that um, let your children be your really close friends in their adult life. Yeah. You know, uh, you're their parent, not their, not their buddy. Yeah. To, re- to really digress, Dennis Vandermeer, um, learned this from Dennis, is Dennis didn't fire people. He just find him a new job. He wanted everybody to be an A if somebody was a B, but Dennis would get around to going to see how the pro, because he owned a lot of properties on Hilton Head Island. He wanted to see how they, you know, if they keep the place clean. Mm. And if the place was clean, he'd say, okay, they're, 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 they're a 24 hour worker. They're not just, you know, just not working at at practice. Uh, But coming back to, you know, playing for something bigger than yourself, tennis parents of junior players they need to realize that especially it's so sad that high school tennis has really uh, been de-emphasized you know so, i mean college coaches don't watch high school matches and yeah you now it's 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 so sad that high school tennis is not where it once was because that was really a a great experience for kids to be on a team uh, a little bit about uh you know, Lair is a great book I would recommend is Storytelling for Mental Toughness. Yeah, it's a great book. Everything turns into a story. Every story has its consequences. No matter, no matter how small, how insignificant, um, stories, you know, they don't change very easily. It's like a forehand doesn't change very easily. If someone's late, yeah. um, if, if someone doesn't, you know, push themselves on the track. Well, and every day is a story, right? Like, what was your story today? Yeah. Again, journaling, reflective thought. Yeah. Um, Too many times people think their story is the real reality. Uh, They become master manipulators. They start to paint. They they counterfeit the story. They, Mm. you know, the the story that a young kid will describe to their parent about the match or about the experience, it's generally a completely different story. (laughs) That's where charting and filming really come in. Handy. Yeah, no, um, I've been a supplemental coach for a long time now. I have a large network of coaches and coaches send me their students. And say, for example, uh, you know, some kid has been going to a club for uh, two years, taking a private lesson or two and going to clinics. And then they come in to stay with us for two weeks. Very good chance that we know that kid better than the coach. Um, you know, just... You know, they're yeah. just, they give, they're going to the grocery store the first time. They yeah. don't even know to get a grocery cart. Yeah. Oh. They've got a little money in their pocket <laughs> and they're buying Pop-Tarts. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like this thing, are you kidding me? They, um, it's a halfway house. They're, they're young. They're, they're coming to stay with us. They're, they're not going to college. Mm. Um, um, it's difficult, um, you know, people, when they hear something, to get them to hear something different or they, they see something to get it, that's something to see it differently. Mm. It's um, sometimes it takes a layer would say it's takes a stick of dynamite. Mm. If um, you know, he uses uh, his book uh, politics as an example, 
if you know someone believes this yeah. and then they find somebody else who believes the same thing, they let that, as he would say, they let that sucker in right yeah. away. If it goes the other way, same thing. Um, the loser blues, you know, two kids, um, uh, they don't like practice. And mm. They're, they're going to find each other because yeah. there's, because they're singing the same song. Misery they're, loves company. Yeah. Um, you know, here's another lyricism. Get your story straight. Um, stories have three parts. What's the truth? What's the purpose? And what's the action? Um, story uh, with Lair. Are you your own victim or did you survive yourself? Mm. <laughs> um, it's amazing how, you know, people start playing the blame game and pointing fingers. And it's no, it's, it's just between, it's between your left ear and your blame, right ear. Complain, defend. Say that again. Blame, complain, defend. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Coach Nick from Tennis Memphis. That comes from uh, Urban Meyer. Yeah. Well, the training that they went through. He read his book, and I should be able to tell you that uh, we put it on uh, Facebook two days in a row. Yeah. With, love that. Um, How do you respond to losing is a story. Do you learn to lose? Um, with your story, with your tennis story, who are you becoming through, through tennis? Yeah, um, exactly. Your story, are you doing things for the right reasons? Uh, Steve Johnson, senior who died at such a young age. Yeah. Tennis lets you know who you are. That's a great line. Coming back to, uh, Lair, um, People play for trophies, they play for scholarships, they play for money. These are not the right reasons to play. Uh, the best players in the history of the game, um, they got in the game, if you go back just a few generations, like say a Borg, a Connors, a McEnroe, when they got in the game, there was no money in the game. Yeah. There was no money game. Uh, a good way to tell you about money is... Um, uh, Tony Gotsick, actually Tennis Australia runs the event or they help run the event, the Labor Cup. Labor Cup, yeah. And um, Tony Gotsick, the agent, Dartmouth grad, he um, works with uh, obviously Fetter. Fetter makes, this is coming from Fetter, Fetter makes more money in one exhibition than Labor made in his whole career. Career, yeah. Um, you, know, you know, again, there's, there's the reasons to become a, a better human being and uh, character. That's a, a word again, um, Lair will say over and over again, it's a muscle. It's just like doing push-ups. Um, and you, there's a buildup process to one's character. Um, at the end of your life, all you have is your character. Um, I mentioned his book, leading by character. I haven't read that one yet. Um, Actually, it's amazing when you think about, um, you can get that book as an audible. So you'd be riding a bike, going for a walk, doing household chores, and you'd be listening to it. Yeah. Um, With, uh, we talked about our library. Um, We recently, Andy and I, we spoke to Jack Grapple. Now I was spoon-fed by, Jack and I were both spoon-fed by Vic Braden at the same time. But, um, Pat Etchenberry was part of the LGE. It was Lair, Grapple, Etchenberry, human performance. But Grapple, we told him that we had nine acres in uh, Lake Nona. 
Yeah. Because Jim and Jack, they sold, they had a, it's a nice facility. Yeah. You, you've been there. Yeah. And so Jack said to us, is your place in a swamp? Yeah. <laughs> um, the, um, but they partnered, partnered with Johnson Johnson. I don't really know the ins and out of it. They sold their facility for Johnson Johnson and been a financial success. Yeah. Um, with, um, let's see here. Um, I think this is important. Lair, I tell people all the time, is one thing about writing, and I'm an amateur writer, but if you become a better writer, you become a better speaker. If you become a better speaker, you become a better writer. Mm. Um, let's just do this with uh, some favorite words, the energy and character. These are, again, I say, you know, from Lair, it's just, it's good common sense. You hear it from, you know, Parents and coaches and teachers, be thankful, be grateful, give back, have high moral character, high ethical character. Here's an exercise. Like Stephen Covey has, uh, the late Stephen Covey. It's a little heavy for uh, juniors, but write your own eulogy. <laughs> yeah. You know, what, what, someone, yeah. what would someone be saying at your funeral? Alarism is take six or eight key words that people could put on your tombstone. Yeah. On a lesser scale, we have juniors write a bio write your tennis bio and it's pretty humbling experience. Yeah. You know, it's various. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's not like they have, you know, okay, there's international tennis, there's national tennis there's sectional tennis. And they're, they end up finding out they're just a big fish in a small pond. Um, You know, it's, it's not to hurt anybody's feelings, but you know, these pack five colleges or power five colleges, I should say, if someone has a high sectional ranking, they're not going to play at a power five conference. They have to have high national ranking. Yeah. And it's not to scare anybody away. You know, that's where hidden numbers, hidden scoreboard, SAT, yeah. um, and GPAs gives you be able to go. You want to be, have kids be able to go through the front door when they apply to a college. Yeah. Um, but when people, when we have people write their tennis bio, um, you know, I mentioned Raven Klassen earlier. I told Raven, uh, always tell people that you're a tennis teacher and a tennis player mm-hmm. um, with um, be, you know, this is for, you know, you really young kids that we work with, they should be able to give back. They should be able to show appreciation. They should be able to be a peer teacher. Yeah. Um, and it's so, so I'm not just, just, just taking lessons. I'm learning to give lessons. Yeah, exactly. With it's fulfilling that way too. Obviously, you know, the, it's cliche, but the giver always uh, gets more than the taker, really, in the end. No, that's well put. It says right here in the notes, seek fulfillment, be trustworthy, have values, have principles. Um, these are all, you know, you know, when it comes to layer and character. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a difference between, you know, happy joy. You know, it's, a, it's not a, um, a fleeting thought. I mean, there's so many yeah. things that bounce around. He's like, I think it's Angela Duckworth with grit. Um, that, you know, just like with Jim Lehrer with mental toughness is uh, you hear his language throughout tennis all these years later. Um, and, and it's fine. Um, but it really, in the end, it's um, just establishing life patterns that, that really matter. Um, yeah. Whatever you, whatever you put energy towards, it will grow. Tennis reflects life. Life reflects tennis. 
Um, kids show their true character when they're picking up tennis balls. <laughs> Every day there's a ball pickup. The truth. <laughs> Every day there's a ball pickup. Okay, you're showing your character. I mean, I um, I tell kids, I just you know. It's, you know, coaching style for me, it's not like, okay, I have a private voice and a group voice. Okay, come on, come over here. Yeah. And I just, right across the courts, you are embarrassing your family right now. Yeah. And it's like, get a work ethic. Well, we put up a video the other day on on Instagram, picking how to pick up balls. It's just different ideas for picking up balls. But one of the things that you talked about was just try to secretly film practice whenever possible. Even if it's just, you know, for a minute or two. And then it gives gives you a really quick idea who has a work ethic and who doesn't. But also, it'd be good for the kids to see, you know, hey, this is this is what you look like when you're picking uh, up balls. You've got this goal. Dennis family used to teach kids to, uh, you know, tap the ball, put the ball against the inside of your foot, outside of your foot, but don't, as Dennis would say, don't stoop it over and pick it up. Use your <laughs> racket to pick the ball yeah, up. Yeah. Of course, we do it where it's like, okay. Jogging backwards, one one yeah. ball in your left hand, one ball in your right hand. Yeah. Um, I used to always it used to be always one and one. Then you know the years would go by, and it was <laughs> seriously. I'm not yeah. joking. It was two and two, and then now it's three and three. I have had you know I have people visit now. Sometimes they're visiting, they're bringing their kids. We taught them how to play. Yeah, and they go three and three. I never heard three and three. Yeah, we mix it up a little bit. It was always always one and one. Just some one and ones. Um, but, um, no, I think with uh, Dr. Jim Lair, I would uh, read some of his books if you haven't. I know a lot of young yeah. young people that uh, maybe they're um, um, not familiar with his work, but, I mean, certainly you can get on YouTube. There's all sorts of video clips you can look at. Yeah, 16 um, Second Cure is on YouTube, pretty sure. We yeah, can, we'll put some things up in the future of some of the in-house tape that we have. But I think, you know, for us, again, it was uh, during the 80s, um, and it was, um, you know, for us, Tennis Intelligence Supply. That's the name of the course we have. It's 25 hours. Yeah. And intelligence is information, ideas, and insights. And then application is self-defined. I mean, you have to, you know, um, knowledge is power, then applied knowledge is is greater. How's it go? So, um, but to actually practice, to practice, uh, you know, just think about, you know, what someone does with their eyes, what they do with their breathing, what they do with their pace, you know, what they do with their, their physical action response, how they, what they do in the points over, yeah. um, overall body language, when it comes down to uh, the rituals, self-talk, um, you know, no pity party, no poor me, um, with and it, it's it's a skill. It's just like the forehand. It has to be practiced. It has to be rehearsed. Um, awareness, acceptance, commitment. Um, you know, and it's not a matter of name calling. Uh, I do think we make the mistake in tennis, um, you know, especially in football. Um, <laughs> the uh, the gridiron, mm-hmm. the, the the vocabulary for football, but it's it's not war, um, but it is one's competitive spirit and you know i think the competitive spirit is best it's it's taking your body your mind your tennis game and your spirit yeah and you know spirit's another word for for character um 
and you know to to be a great teammate to train now or you're you're going to be a leader by example is that you're going to you're acting like you could already be the captain yeah um be mature beyond your years um so it's it's really it's really life lessons i think tennis is a microcosm of life all the problems you find in tennis you're going to find in life and yeah um the um you know and I, for again um we had, we had a discussion on russian tennis so here in the us cultural toughness is a problem and the term uh, affluenza mm. you know if you have uh, it's hard to have rich kids and uh, or rich parents and poor kids and yeah. um you know when it comes down to just you know jim lair's mental toughness camps were creative and it comes down to it's not that creative to think okay you're making your lunch tomorrow packed lunch no we're not just going to stop at your restaurant of choice and go yeah. in and spend twelve dollars um make your own lunch pack your own bag carry your own bag we got to um, set that early on too because once those habits are you know ingrained if they're used to getting chipotle every day or whatever it may be right if as soon as the road starts to get easy, then it's tough to make those changes. Yeah, I mean, again, I sound like I become doom and gloom for American junior tennis. We're not doing as well as we used to. Um, you don't see at an international tournament American kids practicing in the parking lot. Yeah. Um, so when Jim would run his uh, mental toughness camps and make you um, play with your opponent's racket or pour water over your grip, or you know, I think a, a Jimmy Connors. Um, Actually, Jim ran a program at one point at Sanibel Island, and Jimmy Connors, um, you know, he had his name on the facility. And um, Gloria used to have Jimmy start practice sets fifteen thirty, and then from there he just played straight up. Yeah. So if he, he's got one serve fifteen thirty, and now he's in the hole, loses at points fifteen forty. Um. The uh, three types of love, uh, soft love, tough love, crazy love. But really in the end, you know, crazy love, it's not its not screaming, it, but it is, it is a little crazy to say, okay, I'm keeping a journal. I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to have fun, but it's going to be serious fun. And, yeah. you know, it's like, okay, I'm going to go do yoga. Yeah. I'm going to put this chart together. Because they're, it's really the attitude of the household. It's, it's, it's lifestyle. And, uh, if you know, the, the kid... Um, you know, dare to dream. He writes down, once you write it down, it's, it's a goal. Okay. I, I want to uh, be the best I can be. I want to play college tennis. I want to play Wimbledon. And, you know, then it's, uh, you need the expertise of someone like Jim Lair. Yeah. Now he's come up with so many, like you said, 17 books, a lot of good tools. And so you, you can study and learn those tools and then put them to work. You're going to help your tennis game, help your life. Mental toughness, eliminate the external stimuli, focus on the task at hand. hand. But thank you, uh, Jim Lair. Thanks, Doc. Mr. Lair, um, that's our episode for today. Yeah, so we're halfway through. We have four other pillars to talk about. Yeah. Um, But I think really that's the great base, the great base. This goes back to the 80s. By the time I started this program called Tennis Tech, I I was 26, and it was just, you know, Eugene Allen knew that I was studying tennis and he was the president of the board of trustees. I had no idea how anything worked at age 26, except for, um, you know, I had my family background, my ice hockey background, a little Catholic school, a little boarding school. And 
but I had been trained to teach tennis by um, uh, Dennis Vandermeer, Welby Van Horn, and Vic Braden. And again, I guess a thank to uh, the PTR and, and Dennis for uh, you know he, having Jim Verdick and Jim Lair be so much part of what we did. And mm-hmm. and but I think for the young young coaches, old coaches out there, it granted reading books, but you know we say read a book, live a book is you know we we you know took his messages and made it very much not only part of lecture classes but our labs and what we practiced and yeah. and. Uh, I guess I could end by saying one time, uh, Colin Lee, a coach from England, we worked with Welby Van Horn together and he had read where, you know, I've had success with players and hadn't seen him a long time. And he, polite, polite guy, asked if he could come down. I said, yeah, come on down, be our guest. So the years go by and I hadn't seen him in close to, you know, 15 years. And he comes by and he goes, you're still doing exactly the same thing. (laughs) And no, we're still practicing uh, and teaching things that uh, we learned from uh, all these pillars back years ago. Yeah. Stands the test of time. All right, everybody. Thank That's you. That's our episode today. Again, you can check us out online, greatbasetennis.com. Find us on social media at greatbasetennis. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time.